Hello, Voices of Wrestling listener. Dave Ryan here. Have you ever wondered to yourself, how many hidden gems are hidden away inside the last years of World Championship Wrestling? Have you ever asked yourself how many tenuous gags can be made about the name Mike Enos? And have you ever thought about what it sounds like for two Irishmen to interpret a very chaotic company through its B-show? The answers to all this and more are just a click away. Check out Days of Thunder every second Thursday on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Here we go! Listening to the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 22 of the Emerald Flow Show. We are a podcast on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. You can follow us on Twitter at Emerald Flow Show, and you can uh, even donate to the show if you go to voicesofwrestling.com/donate. And any donations are greatly appreciated. I'm Gerard Detrolio here with Paul. Paul, how are you doing? Uh, doing pretty good. Uh, rearranged my living room the other day and just kind of enjoying some very normal late October temperatures of 22 degrees Celsius, you know, the usual Central European temperatures in late October. Yeah, uh, it's been, uh, I guess, average temperatures over here, but I did see that Europe was getting uh, a lot warmer than usual. Um, yeah, also actually, I think it's like 30 degrees somewhere in like southern Spain, which is insane. Yeah. Also, we're recording the day after Halloween, so we don't have to do any Halloween jokes. Oh, yeah. Thank God. Did you did you actually dress up for Halloween? Oh, no, I didn't actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually invited to a party, but then I had to cancel on uh, last minute. So uh, I didn't get to do that either. Mm-hmm. But you know what the scariest thing about the Halloween weekend was? Pro Wrestling Noah? 
<laughs> I was gonna say, uh, I was gonna say Kazuyuki Fujita, but it's <laughs> <laughs> close. <laughs> What's the difference? What's the difference? So that's why we will start off with Pro Wrestling Noah. There, Ariaki Triumph: The Return. Pro Wrestling Love Forever Three Triumph. That was on October thirtieth in Tokyo Ariaki Arena, which is, I believe, a newer arena. That, yes, that um, was built. It was built for specifically for the Olympics, and I think this was the first wrestling show in Ariake Arena. Yeah, because yeah, New Japan Stardom is gonna, are going to do their show there later this yeah. month and everything like yeah. that. So they drew three thousand seven hundred thirty-nine fans, which was higher than their last couple of Budokans by like about mm-hmm. six seven hundred. I would say that's probably good, and I think Mudo and Tanahashi were the draw here. Yeah, I would definitely say for now that's a good number. Do we know if this New Japan X Stardom show is going to have cheering or if that will have full capacity? I'm actually not sure. Okay, but I'm not even like, yeah. I'm not sure though that like 3700 is like the max capacity for cheering though either cuz it's yeah. a big arena. Now, I mean for now I will say it's a good number, but obviously we have like like I said, yeah, like as you said, it is better than the previous recent Budokan numbers. But I think we really get like a good view of how good that number is once we see what New Japan and Stardom draw in the same building in just a few weeks. Right. And so with the show, I just realized that I had accidentally fast forward over the dark match. And I did not see Kai Fujimura defeat <laughs> Taishi Ozawa in six minutes and eight seconds. That was Cause, fine. Yeah, because they had this before everything else, right? And then they went yes, back to like yes. the commentators talking. Yeah. Yeah. No, I actually almost accidentally like fast forwarded over it as well, but then I luckily remembered to go back for it. Um, yeah, watch it. I mean, it was like your typical uh, young boy match, and I was actually curious to see. Like, obviously, Fujimura was favored to win here since he has seniority, but Ozawa is just such a big guy that I was kind of actually curious if they might give him the win here since he's such a clear heavyweight but no like seniority obviously wins in these kinds of matches and Fujimura got the win and yeah it was your standard young boy match I bet you Ozawa will be able to beat Fujimura though probably not too long because Fujimura is the lowest ranked and he's a junior yeah I, I could definitely see that like eventually they might transition to that but I think for now he's just gonna keep the upper hand because he is just he just has been there longer, which that is still really important. Now, obviously, like further into their career, I think that dynamic is probably going to change if Fujimura stays a junior and Ozawa obviously will be heavyweight. Yeah. So next up, we have the Congo team of Manabu Soya, Shuji Kondo, and Hajime Ohara defeating Shuhei Taniguchi, Alejandro, and Extreme Tiger. Nine minutes and eight seconds with the King Kong, King Kong Lariat uh, from Kondo on Alejandro. Actually, this is a nice little match, you know. Mm-hmm. A little strange uh, mixture of some, like, seeing uh, Taniguchi uh, team with Alejandro, but I thought this worked. Yeah, I mean, it really was kind of like the match of, like, people that they wanted to get into the card that they didn't have anything else to do for. Um, but, yeah, it was a good opener. And next up, we had uh, Jack Morris and Don... Oh, sorry, I was muted. Next up, we had <laughs> Jack Morris and Dante Leon defeat Daiki Inaba and Yohei in 11 minutes and 4 seconds uh, when uh, Leon used the Inferno on Yohei. 
We'll talk about why <laughs> Dante Leon uh, won this match a little later on. Mm-hmm. I didn't hate it, even though I'm not the biggest fan of Dante Leon. I thought it was decent because the other three are pretty good. So, Yeah, I mean, it was fine. Uh, I'm curious that Jack Morris like still is doing like belt motions when... He, spoiler, he wasn't the guy that came out after the main event to challenge for the belt. But I guess maybe eventually, hopefully, he will get that title run. But, yeah. It, but, yeah, I think definitely this was one of Dante Leon's better performances because he wasn't embarrassing. He, he was okay. So, and, yeah, as I said, it makes sense given what they were going to do later. Uh, next up... Uh... Yoshinari Ogawa, Chris Ridgway, and Yasutaku Yano defeated the Peros team of Nosawa, Eita, and Super Crazy in 13 minutes and 15 seconds when Eita got himself disqualified. It was just another one of these Stinger and Allies versus Peros match ending in a DQ. We've seen it a, like way too many times before. It's like but, the cleaning of a house that never ends. Yeah, but... Um, we had the return of Amakusa, mm-hmm. who interfered after uh, the match and went after the um, Peros team. And oh, I'm sorry, did I put that in the wrong place? No, I think yeah. Sorry, yeah, you put that in the wrong place. That that, that came after the uh, junior title. Okay, uh, well, ignore that. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll reveal who Amakusa's. Uh, um, <laughs> Identity is in a moment then. But yeah, I mean, it was just the most Peros um, thing that you've seen a million times before. You think you think we're actually going to get like a blow for this feud ever? Like no, a, because... A hair I, match look, or something? Or is this just going to keep going for like years? But I guess like, until, until Nosawa retires, I guess. Quote unquote retires. Um, yeah. I was thinking like that, like uh, Dragon Gate Noah joint show on the 11th. That doesn't look like mm-hmm. anything there is blowing anything off. No. I mean, I guess so. now a blow-off would be like an Ogawa Eta, like, hair match or something like that. <laughs> that would be kind of fun, That actually though. would be good fun, yeah. But I don't yeah. know. Like, this has been going on, like, legitimately for, like, what, eight months at this point? Uh, yeah, I think it's getting up there because it was, like, early spring, right? I think you can go all the way back yeah. to, like, March or maybe even February? More or less since, like, Paris formed, really. yeah. So it's like, yeah, well, the problem is these feuds in the junior division go on way too long. Yeah. Okay. So next up, we had Hideki Suzuki and Ahio did Dr. Wagner Jr. defeating Masato Tanaka and Masa Kitamiya in 11.54 when um, Wagner Jr. pinned Kitamiya with the Wagner driver, which I guess was a bit of a surprise, but it's setting things up. But, you know, I thought this was okay. Mm-hmm. I would actually like to see Tanaka and Kitamiya do like more stuff together. I think they actually yes. could be a really good tag team. They would and, fit together because um, yeah. Kitamiya's last tag team partner mysteriously disappeared. Yeah, I don't know where he went. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, maybe, maybe we're going to have to look into the uh, stand-up comedy circles uh, <laughs> in like the north, in like the Midwest. And maybe, maybe we'll find some information there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what's the deal with Masakitamiya? <laughs> what's the deal with this protein powder? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then uh, 
Finally, we get to the GHC Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship at Sushi Kotoge, and Seki Yoshioka defeated Tadasuke and Hiroki in 13 minutes and 8 seconds with the Kumori Suri Otoshi uh, from Kotoge on Hiroki for their first defense of the junior titles. I thought this was pretty darn good little match. Didn't, like, reinvent the wheel with dynamic junior mm-hmm. action, but just really solid. Yeah, I think that really sums up, I think, these teams in general as well. Uh, yeah, as I said, it didn't reinvent the wheel. Like, probably not really going to remember this match, to be honest. But I was also just like sitting there, was like, and then it ended, I was like, yeah, that was good. That was a perfectly acceptable title match. And yeah, the uh, Congo versus uh, Kotoge and Yoshioka feud continues as well. Yeah. And uh, well, once again, I think Yoshioka is just great and just underrated. And I think yes. Kotoge and Yoshioka could. Like, I really like Tadasuke, and Hiroki is serviceable, but I think Kotoge and Yoshioka could probably have an even better match against a different combo, for sure. Yeah. Well, to be fair, the question, though, is is uh, Kondo and uh, and uh, is Kondo and Ohara, is that going to be the right combo to get a better match out of them? No. Because Kondo is certainly good, but not so much as partner. Yeah. Um, so then we get... Amakusa's uh, return when he came and attacked Congo. And if you're wondering who Amakusa is, it is the returning How finally after three or four months away, I believe. Mm-hmm. And yep. he's got a completely new hairdo because he took the time yeah. to grow it out. Yeah. To be fair, I actually like it that they actually, in this case, took their time to actually bring him back. Because they obviously could have just like immediately brought him back under a mask or something and just done it this way. But I did like, like that way to the stipulation actually feels a bit more weighty and he comes back with a completely refreshed gimmick and everything. So I actually did like this run in here and yeah, I'm curious to see what they're going to do with him going forward. Uh, How was definitely gone longer than several of Terry Funk, Ric Flair and Leo Rush retirements, I'd say. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that was, like I said, that, that actually felt like they kind of respected uh, the stipulation a lot more than other people have done when they've done similar uh, when they've done similar steps. And then uh, next up, the GHC Junior Heavyweight title, uh, Ninja Mac defeated Hayata in 11 minutes and 30 or 23 seconds via referee stop because he did sort of like a sunset flip bomb to the outside mm-hmm. that dislocated uh, Hayata's elbow and they called the match. Um, I think Mac was winning this one anyway. Yeah. And I actually thought this was like on trending to be like Hayata's best singles match in a long time before the the stoppage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think and it also helped that he was in there with like someone like Mac who's just insanely athletic. It's Mac used to be a Cirque du Soleil guy, right? Uh, I believe so. That's what I'd heard. Yeah, because I actually went to a Cirque du Soleil show on Sunday <clears throat> and they're all kind of like crazy athletic like that, like him and, I actually would wish that wrestling would like recruit more people from there because I think there's some people in there that like if you if you see kind of the path that Mac has taken like I would hope maybe they're going to recruit more there from going forward. There were also some people in there that would be like some insane bases as well for like high flyers. So really I hope that maybe Ninja Mac will like convince more of his former colleagues to join and then we could see some absolutely crazy matches coming out of that with him in there. Yeah, I was going to ask if like you scout any of the circulars. People <laughs> like, were like, well, that be person fair, could the, be a wrestler, and that person I could mean, be a wrestler. The ones that were really noticeable for me, like they had this like 
high flying act basically uh where uh, they had these like mark davis looking motherfuckers just like throw the women around and the women were like doing like all kinds of crazy corkscrews and everything and definitely like the women's like athleticism was crazy as well that they were like able to like do all of these like crazy rotations but you just looked at these dudes just that's what i mean like they would have they would be like one of these alone would be like a perfect like wrestling base for like high flyers to just do all kinds of like crazy stuff like if you get them in there in the ring with like a commander or an el hijo de vikingo Uh, so I think those guys would actually be really interesting if one of them would be interested at, to start wrestling. And I think that would help someone like Ninja Mac as well, because, yes, this was on track to be kind of Hayata's best singles match in a while, but I think it was also noticeable that he wasn't really able to keep up with Mac athletically as well, because they're just on completely different levels. Right. Uh, that did... St- Stand out a little bit, but I still think Mac did a really good job trying to carry Hayata. And I don't think, or I should say, I think Mac was winning this, so I don't think this was some yeah. big botch in the booking either. Oh yeah, no, and I also don't fault Mac here at all. Like, if he's that athletic, like he shouldn't have to hide it as well. Like, if I'm Noah, I'm actually, I would actually aim to bring in someone that is on a similar level to Mac in terms of athleticism for like, I don't know, like Budokan or something, I try and get in someone like Commander or like Vikingo or someone like that and basically tell them, hey, you get like 15, 20 minutes, just go nuts out there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, hopefully he does get like a someone that can really go in one, on one of those big stages because if you also notice, he was really over. Yes. No, I think that was really one of the... I mean, one of the things I will say maybe about the arena, I don't know if it was the arena, but it definitely seem to suffer from the same thing that I think Tokyo Dome shows suffer from sometimes, where the sound doesn't really carry properly, but it was definitely noticeable that he was over, yeah. I think there's no denying that. At this point, I'm just happy with any sound at all, so I don't really pay attention to whether how it carries in these <laughs> venues yet, because this is pretty new. True, true. Yes, yeah, so to actually hear cheering, yeah. It, yeah. it definitely revealed like who's over and who's not, yes. I think that that's what these shows are definitely showing when we actually have cheering now and i mean we're going to talk about it again like what that revealed for example in like all japan now that cheering is like somewhat back there as well and then next up we had uh masakatsu funaki uh, for the national title uh, defeating kazushi sakuraba via referee stoppage with a ninja cho- choke for sixth defense of the national title in in like three minutes and 48 seconds yeah. i believe and Look, I mean, I thought this started off well, and then they did the Funaki finish out of nowhere, which, all in all, I thought this was disappointing, especially given, like, how much they built up to this match. They did an angle, and then they did that, like, 25-minute match where Sakuraba submitted Funaki in the tag match, and then it was just over in less than four minutes. So I think as a storytelling device, this was very disappointing. True, yeah, especially given how they've built it up, but... I will also say that if you do something like that, these are kind of the two guys to do that with. Because they just are kind of the shooters. So I think it is believable if they just have like a very quick go in, go out match. Like kind of in a way also like subverting expectations in a, in a bit as well. And also I think these two are also generally better if they go shorter rather than longer. So I'm actually kind of happy that it didn't go too long. 
I guess that's an interesting point. I just, I don't know. It just dawned on me just like how much they sort of built into it compared to like other mm -hmm. Funaki defenses where they're just like, okay, here's a guy. You're going to face yeah, no, Funaki. True. They did definitely put a lot more effort into it than they really have for like almost any other defense he's had so far. And then then he basically, but you know, in a way that that's what I mean. Like you, so like they build it up all that way. And then you, so you kind of expect this like epic kind of like long kind of shoot style match. And then it's just Funaki just beats his ass and just chokes him out in three minutes instead. Like, like I think you can do that every once in a while and actually have it be like a nice surprise. Yeah. But uh, this rain's got to end. <laughs> Oh, no, yeah, but at this point, I think it's going all the way until Budokan. Yeah, oh, well. Next up for the GHC Tag Team title, uh, Takashi Sugera and Satoshi Kojima defeated Keno and Katsuhiko Nakajima in 21 minutes and 23 seconds when Kojima pinned Nakajima with the Lariat. I really like this match a lot. I thought it was the best match on the show. You know, it was, like, hard-hitting from what you would expect from these guys. Mm -hmm. Kicks, Lariats, suplexes, and the last few minutes was just, like, a great you know, hitting each other with bombs and then one of the partners getting in there to break up the pin and everything. Just really good stuff, like four-star match for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, this was, for me, was easily the best match on the show as well. I mean, these are four of the best workers in the company, so I think that's really unsurprising, and I think the result also is not really surprising either. Like, I think I'm fine here with Keno and Nakajima losing. Like, I don't think they really, like, lose anything and i also don't think they really would have gained anything by winning here so yeah i was gonna say that like because you know given some of discussion about noah and some of the older talent i don't really think this is a big deal to do this with the tag no. titles no also it's not like keno is like the next generation and like neither is nakajima like nakajima no. is still a bit younger but like kind of is what he is at this point yeah i guess yeah he he really is as much as we, I, you know, I think myself and many other people would like to think otherwise. So it's not a, a big deal. And, uh, no. you know, as long as they have something for them to do after this and not just spin their wheels in the mid card, hey, you know, it's not a big deal to me at all. Maybe we'll finally get some progress on that Congo storyline that's been stuck in purgatory for like months now. I mean, yeah, I mean, I... Unlike some storylines in this company, I don't think Nakajima being in Congo has sort of overstated its welcome to me. You can certainly, yeah. like, I wouldn't even blow it off at Budokan. I think you can get it into, like, a, several months into 2023 if you wanted to, no problem. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it would at least be something for them to do. But, yeah, I mean, I could maybe see one of them challenge for the uh, national title, though, at Budokan. That's actually something I could see happening. Yeah, I mean, Funaki leaving Congo might even be happen first before, like, Nakajima. And that's assuming yeah. it's Nakajima that's leaving Congo. Because uh, didn't we used to yeah. talk Sorry, about, like, gone. didn't we used to talk about, like, how we thought maybe Nakajima would kick Keno out? Yes. I think that was, because I think that was also the feeling that I think everyone got when Funaki joined. Where it's like Funaki and Nakajima are going to work together to kick out Keno. Because it was kind of weird, like, to, if you remember how Funaki joined Congo, is he beat Keno for the national title, and then was just, he beat him, and then was just like, also, I'm going to join your faction now, thanks. Yeah, it was a little weird. So, yeah, something, some sort of movement on the Congo storyline has to happen, I think, soon, though. Yeah. And what do you think of the Segura and Kojima that they're still doing the 
kind of miscommunications parts. It's the it's their shtick, and it's probably gonna like this will probably go on a little mm-hmm. longer, and they'll get a couple of defenses, and then I think the team will break up. Yeah. No, I think that's pretty likely. That I mean, how long did did uh, the violence giants? Um, uh, miscommunication spots go on before they finally pull the plug on the team <laughs> like a year too long <laughs> yeah i don't think they're gonna go this and then, that long though i don't think we're gonna get this for like a year because <laughs> <laughs> i do love these two and i was like for now i'm still fine with it but i'm also not gonna I'm get starting to get a little bit tired of the miscommunication spots yeah it just well i mean i think for some of us, it might just feel like a little WWE-ish, given how they've yeah. sort of uh, Can they run that into the... Yeah. And, then they, and they're even doing that in AEW with, like, Swerve in Our Glory, too. So it's just... Yeah. I think it's just happening a lot in wrestling. And then next up, we have the Pro Wrestling Love Forever 3 Triumph uh, on sort of the Keiji Muto countdown. At Keiji Muto, Naomichi Marafuji, and Yoshiki Inamura defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi, Toga Makabe, and Tomoaki Hanma in 20 minutes and 32, 32 seconds when uh, Marafuji pinned Hanma with the Shiranui. I thought this was actually pretty good, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was smartly worked. It was like a lot of Marafuji and Inamura doing the work, and not surprisingly, it ended up being Hanma doing in the ring for his team a lot. Uh, Togi Makabe, I can barely remember anything he did in this match. I remember got... more that he did that post-match brawl with Inamura. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, we got the big, like, Tanahashi and Mudo interactions that got lots of heat mm-hmm. and everything like that. But, yeah, I mean, it was a good match and it was structured well, I thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wouldn't be... I mean, it's not very surprising that a match with Hiroshi Tanahashi in it is very well-structured. Uh, I think that's just something that he just incredibly excels at. And... But I think everyone kind of worked well for, like, their role in the match. I think Muto... Like, I think Tanahashi sold really well for Muto as well. And it did, like, a lot of, like, callbacks to the stuff that they were doing, like, early in Tanahashi's career and everything. So that one, to me, felt, like, the most so far of, like, really, like, something that signifies a very specific part of Keiji Muto's career. Like, much more so, I think, than really, like, some of the other kind of Muto retirement tour matches. Like this really felt like a proper like tribute to like a specific point in time. Yeah, definitely because um, yeah, Makabe still would have been in a sort of like maybe young lion or just post young lion phase when that stuff with Tanahashi mm-hmm. was happening. And then they brought up the fact that Hama was sort of like one of Muto's boys in like 2002, 2003, all Japan and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of history writing on that. Uh, so we might as well talk about the big announcement here. Mm-hmm. Talking uh, so about WWE earlier. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they announced that um, Shinsuke Nakamura, name spelt in all caps, I might add as well, um, uh, will be facing the great Muda at January 1st on at the Budokan, which I mm-hmm. think took everyone by surprise. Yes. Although it's funny because Tokyo Sports ran this article being like, oh, it's a miracle. Uh, Nakamura was like, oh, it's a miracle that this is happening. What, what, you know, stuff like that. Making it sound like, oh, WWE has changed with uh, uh, <laughs> Mr. Paul Levesque in charge. Uh, yes, but Paul, what happened in 2018, do you recall, with WWE and Noah? Well, I mean, there was this one kind of 
very unknown wrestler, I think called Hideo Itami. I don't know what really became of him afterwards, but he had like a really big match with Marufuji at uh, Inoa for Marufuji's anniversary. Uh, I think it all actually really kind of saved the company at the time as well because they might have gone out of business if they didn't like sell a lot of tickets for that show, which this mysterious Hideo Itami figure helped them out with a lot. Yes, so I think it's just, but I just thought it was so funny that they're spinning this as like the new WWE. Yeah. I mean, what I'm more interested in is what people were like, well, because this whole Hideo Itami thing happened and then Kenta popped up in Japan not that long afterwards. Uh, if this might mean that Nakamura is on his way back to Japan now as well. Well, Nakamura seems to be a, a little more happier in the States doing his surfing and mm-hmm. uh, training at the problematic uh, BJJ gym. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, and also, I mean, at this point, I'm not sure. Like, I don't know, but I haven't seen a Nakamura match in forever because I don't can't be bothered to watch WWE. Uh, but I would say from what I've heard... It's probably for the better as well. That well, it's also better. being against Great Muda, <laughs> so yeah. I don't have high expectations. Well, to be fair, I think that's it's going to be a lot of like it's going to be a lot of shtick, and I think that's really all the match needs to be. Like, I'm not expecting like an in-ring classic four-star match here. Like, it just needs to be like Muda does the mist, like Nakamura does his, all of his signature stuff, and you just get in and out in like twelve minutes or whatever. Yeah, and I assume Nakamura wins. I guess so. I mean, it is still Muda. Yeah. But it'd be funny because I believe that would then be three singles matches in their career and Muto or Muta has won all three. I mean, that seems very on brand. Yes. Um, But then again, I mean, yeah, maybe in that case, it would actually make more sense if Nakamura does win. And also, there's still one more Muda match after this before he retires the gimmick. Uh, featuring Sting. <laughs> Actually, yeah, do you think, uh, what do you think of the conspiracy theories that uh, basically they announced the Muda Sting match and he popped up on Rampage? And that's when WE made the call and was like, hey, do you want Nakamura for a match in Budokan? Oh, I don't think that's how it happened, but I saw people speculating, oh, is Muda going to pop up on WWE TV? I mean, that would be very interesting, yeah. Uh, that, I don't like, think especially if happen. he does it this year, then he would really be the. Well, actually, there's more than one person, but he's definitely. Well, he would he would join the uh, uh, like uh, yeah. the hallowed halls with people like Cody Rhodes. Yeah, because I was saying like because he would really be the only other person that like popped up on AEW first and then go to WWE basically, like yeah. this year at least. Like obviously Cody was first in WWE, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but. The other thing as well that I heard people talk about where they're like, I really hope they're going to let Nakamura use subconscious. And it's, they literally used his WWE theme in the announcement video. Like, you can hope yeah, for subconscious, was... but like, look, it, it's going to be his WWE <laughs> theme. Like, yeah, I know. just I, how it is. Look, by like WWE themes in the last few years, his is pretty good, all things yes. considered, I think. Yes, it is. It, it is one of the best themes, I think, that they've made. It's just, I think subconscious is just an all-time great theme, but no, we're going to get the other one. Yeah, I mean, the fact is they're billing him as, like, all cap Shinsuke Nakamura. Like, this is WWE Shinsuke Nakamura yeah. you're yeah, getting. exactly. 
Yeah. What I'm wondering though, if he will have some like special costume or anything like that, since it is a pretty big show. Yeah, maybe he'll wear some makeup or something to sort of like go up against Muda or something. I could see that. <laughs> the great Nakamura. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess it'll. I mean, we'll talk about this after the main event too. But like, this is the real main event and draw of that show. Yes. Which sort of makes me curious who's going to be facing the champion on the, sh- on, the on that show. I mean, I was still thinking that maybe it is going to be Kennel still. That's very possible. If we really want to make this like, because like this year, that was Noah's, like I would still say it was like Noah's really kind of biggest show of the year. It was their best show, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you just really want to load that up properly, like, yeah, in theory, you can get away with maybe not having a major like title defense on it because you have this that will just sell tickets. Like, I think that's a guarantee. Um, but I think if you just really want to load it up and just really establish, like, this New Year's show is, like, your big, like, banner show of the year to kick off the year, I think you do still want to put up, like, a proper title defense on there. And yes. I think Ken, and I, over, it, Ken versus Kaito would make a ton of sense just simply because they did it last, this year as well. And Kaito got knocked out by Keno. Yeah. And I really do think they're making the January 1st their big show of the year. Yeah. So that would make a lot of sense. And then so finally we go to the main event for the JHC heavyweight title. The aforementioned Kaito Kiyomiya defeated Kazuyuki Fujita in 24 minutes and 6 seconds with a Frankensteiner. Or did he really beat him with a Frankensteiner? I don't know, Paul. Uh, what's your take? Would you call the finishing move of this match a Frankensteiner? Not really. It was kind of a... It didn't even really look good. That's the problem as well. I mean, it just <laughs> kind of... I, like, did they fuck this up? Like, was he supposed to roll him up out of the Frankensteiner? I don't know. Because that just looked... Because you could have done the same, like, oh, you counted too fast or I got my shoulders yeah. up gimmick even in the cradle. And I could just see a big lug like Fujita just not, like, rolling through and not doing it right. So I don't know. I mean, it was a bad weird finish even if it was yes. intentional. Yes, and I mean, even if they had done the roll-up, it still would have been kind of a shit finish. But like, that just made it look even weirder that he just hits him with a Frankensteiner and then he just pins him for the free. Like, just, well, I mean, he jumped up on him on. and like held his arms down, arm and shoulders down, and everything. And then, of course, Fujita kicks out at like three point zero 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 one. Yeah, <laughs> and then immediately rolls out of the ring. Yeah, uh, you know, so I'm like not a great finish. Uh, no, not a great know, match. Sort either. of wanted. You know what? I kind of liked the match. I will say, I thought it started off well. I thought it slowed down in the middle mm-hmm. when it was Fujita who was gassed, just applying rest holds. Mm-hmm. But I thought the last few minutes were actually quite good until the finish. Yeah. So, I mean, I was just so incredibly bored with the middle part. Like, there was just absolutely nothing there. And, like, I think, yeah, we can blame some of that on Fujita as well, obviously. As you said, he was gassed and all of that. And, Obviously, he has to get his ego in where he just has to dominate the match. But I think, to me, to some degree, that's also on Kaito. Because he's supposed to be the ace now. Like, he just needs to take one of these matches and just takes it by the balls. And it's just like, yes, I get it that you're gassed. But, like, we're going to do, like, a bit more stuff now. We're not just going to lie here for, like, 14 minutes. Yeah, like, fair enough. It's at this, like, that's really my frustration with Kaito. Where, like, I don't really feel he's taking that next step. He just still feels like the same guy he was in 2019. 
No, I think he's gotten better than 20 in, in 2019, but maybe he's not quite aggressive enough. No, he, he definitely is not. Like, he's supposed to be the ace, and I just don't get that vibe from him. That's the problem. Like, he doesn't have that same ability to just, like, take control of the room the same way, like, an Okada or, like, a Kento Miyahara has. Or I would even say maybe even a Yuma Aoyagi has now. Yep, I think that's fair. But to be fair to Kaito, his new tights are a lot better than the ones he wore in the N1. Oh, yeah, no, his, his new gear is a lot better. I think the commentators even said as much as well, but they're like, oh, I like this guy gear a lot more. And he got a new theme on top of it as well. Yeah, which, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm going to have to listen to it a few more times, but I really like his, his previous theme a lot. Mm-hmm. It sort of evoked Misawa, I thought. Yeah, but like I said, I, I do actually, like I said, I, I do kind of want him to get out of the cosplay stage of his career, so I do kind of like maybe that he's making some changes there now and, Maybe he, maybe maybe, a Fra- maybe the Frankensteiner now is his finisher. You know what? That actually would be a unique thing for once. Well, uh, most of the other uh, ch- people he will be facing can probably take a Frankensteiner, so that would be fine. Yeah. And then after the match, Hideki Suzuki came out with Timothy Thatcher and challenged Kaito to crickets. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely no heat for this. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's also not like... Thatcher has really been around all that much. No, he hasn't. And then he just challenges and is like, well, I'm undefeated. I guess that's a good enough challenge. I mean, I don't mind it. Like, obviously, like... Oh, I think it'll be a great match. I like it, but yeah. I mean, I don't mind it as like just like a throwaway title challenge on like a Kirk and Hall show. It's going to be a great match. Oh, for sure. Because I can definitely expect it to be like similar to the Hideki Suzuki versus Kaito in one final. Yeah. Um, so we go next to that uh, Cork and Hall show where the title match is happening, and it's a pretty loaded show. And I think, I think it's gonna like I know people are like skeptical of certain things about Noah right now, especially given the finish of the main event and yeah. their numbers in in Corkin lately. But I think this will probably has a good chance of actually drawing their largest number to Corkin in a while. I mean, it's because, the by far the most loaded Corkin show they've done this year. Yeah, it's not even so, close. Uh, for the GHC heavy title, it's Kaido Kiyomiya versus Timothy Thatcher. For the national title, it's uh, Masakatsu Funaki versus Hio de Dr. Wagner Jr. For the GHC junior title, it's Ninja Mac versus Dante Leon, which, you know, I'm sure it'll get over in some way. Um, and then for the GHC tag, forgot to mention, uh, Mohamed Yone and Akatoshi Saito of Funky Express came out to challenge after uh, their title match at uh, Ariaki Coliseum. So that's happening, which is... Uh, quite the throwaway tag title match. Hmm. Um, and then Atsushi Kotoge versus Seki Yoshioka versus Suji Kondo and Hajime Ohara, which I expect to be probably of similar quality to the Ariaki match. Because, you know, you still got three good guys, even if Ohara isn't really doing much these days. Kondo is yeah. still great. And then uh, listed as a dark match, Yoshiki Inamura and Kai Fujimura versus Yasu Takuyano and Daishi Ozawa. Yeah, which... You know, Inamura on dark match duty with a bunch of rookies. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so, but, I mean, like, for example, for the tag match, I honestly don't mind having a Funky Express title challenge. And I think it actually should be a pretty good match as well. Yeah, I mean, if, if they keep it to a reasonable length of, like, 15 minutes and they just hit yeah. each other real hard, that should be good, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, like I said, like, all of these are more or less, like, throwaway title challenges 
think the junior tag title is about the only one where I would even could even where we could even reasonably expect a title change. Yeah, like I think all of but the that, other that's... ones are pretty much like guaranteed how. I don't expect any title be. changes unless they feel like they need to change the junior title just to make it seem like, oh, we can do title changes on Corican or something. That but would feel like such a waste, though. Yeah, it would, and just I don't expect roll it. roll with the hot hand and Ninja Mac and not his, like, buddy. Yeah, so, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not expecting it. But No, but to be, be like, as I said before, like, this is, like, a really loaded show, so... Uh, like, no, it hasn't been drawing well, but, like, I, on this one, like... I think we can reasonably expect us to break a thousand, right? Like, I think it's a bad sign if they don't. Um, unless it's a, a sh- unless it's a it's, it is a show. Thursday night. Like you know, mm-hmm. so the the weekday Corkins don't do great for any company generally, or I should say, don't do as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think eight to nine hundred is what I was thinking. Like that's significantly over what I think seven hundred was their highest. Uh, under 700, yeah. I think it was 690-something. Yeah. So um, I'm I'm predicting like 8 to 900. 8 to 900. I wouldn't call 1,000 out of the question, though. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, like this is like super loaded. So... Yeah. Well, I mean, assuming that Cork and Hall is where the hardcores are, like it with the New Japan fan base, mm-hmm. I think they will turn out for a Kaito defense. Yeah, exactly. Like that that's what I'm thinking. Like not just a title defense, but like really kind of any yeah. kind of title match. It's not like Curricon Hall has gotten any title matches recently. So like the fact that they're getting all title matches, I think. If you can't manage to like draw well with that, then really kind of Corican is kind of a lost building at the moment. Yeah. And then uh the next day in Corican Hall on November eleventh is the uh Dragon Gate crossover show. Uh, so on that one, um, I think this is the match order. And so the main event, I think, is Shun Skywalker and Tadasuke versus Amakusa and Takuma Fujiwara, which should be very good, I think. Oh, yeah, that should be insane. Um, next up, we have UT and Jason Lee versus Atsushi Kotoge and Dante Leon, which is funny because this could be incredible, but it could <laughs> Leon could also drag it down. Dante Leon in the Dragon Gate ring is uh, going to be an interesting side. Another match that has uh, greatness on it, Kaito Kiyomiya and Yuki Yoshioka versus Keno and Kota Minora. Yeah, that has very much the pot- potential to be just the best match on the show. And then we uh, take a, well, no, actually, well, debatable how this turns out, but Ryo Sato... Uh, Gen- Genki Horiguchi and Nosawa versus KZ, Jackie Funky, Kamei, and Yohei. Uh, does this end in a DQ? <laughs> I mean, it might. <laughs> or it should end in a monkey flip. It's pretty real. Yeah. And then um, I think you can tell where this match is going. Dragon Kid, Alejandro, D- Dragon Daya, Extreme Tiger, and Ninja Mac versus BB Hulk, Hio, Diamante, Hajime Ohara, and Hiroki. I mean, Diamante is going to have a lot to do in this match. <laughs> he, he is going to be there to, like, have a lot of people flip around him, basically. <laughs> it's very much what this match is built around. <laughs> and then in the only singles match on the show, it's Yamato versus Seki Yoshioka, which should be pretty good. That one could actually be the main <clears> event. <throat> like, I don't know if this is the match order or not, but, like, 
surprised that this match isn't the main event. Yeah, I just took this off of um, the NOAA website. Hmm? And they had, at the top, going down, it started with the Shun Skywalker yeah. and Tadasuke thing. So I don't know. And then this one feel, does feel like an opener. Yes. Um, Madoka Kakuda. Uh, in Inamura's in it, so it has to be the opener. <laughs> yes. And Mochizuki Jr. versus Yoshiki Inamura, Yasutaku Yano, and Kai Fujimura. That being said, it should still be good. Yeah. No, that should, that should be a ton of fun as well. Uh, do we think Inamura's taking the pin here? No. <laughs> it will be Fujimura. You need to think about it, though. <laughs> well, yeah. And then uh, also just a couple of match announcements for the... Because um, I guess this is... Because the match graphics they tweeted out were using NOAA graphics. But this is the sort of final, allegedly final Tokyo Gurintai show on December 20th. I'm going to have show, to take a shower after that one. Yeah. Uh, so we've got like... Uh, I don't know who this is. Shimon Nigagashi. Yeah, also known. Uh, teaming, with Hokuto o- teaming with Hokuto Omori and BB Hulk versus Misaki Mochizuki Akito and Naomichi Marafuji. And then we. Absolutely random match. <laughs> and then we've got uh, Hikaru Sato uh, Sushi, the number two, which apparently is some sort of gimmick. From a previous Nosawa show? I think it's like a gimmick from like a Hideki Suzuki anniversary show or something like that. Yeah. And then uh, who's this Matsumoto guy? I Like I don't know any of these guys on this next match. And then they're facing a team of what I assume are all shooters. And the only name I recognize is Tyson Meguchi from uh, Ganbare. And um, the other guys in it. Like Kai Takuya... And, and there's a Nakamura and a, uh, a Mon, Monma. That doesn't ring a bell right now. Yeah. Um, so I, I admittedly a little, like, but they all look like shooters. <laughs> um, I mean, it is Toki Gurantai. Like yeah. Yeah. So there'll be probably some more bizarre match announcements uh, on that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we move over to All Japan Pro Wrestling. I've got several shows to cover from their Raising an Army Memorial series Mm -hmm. uh, starting on uh, October 22nd in Sanjo at the City Public Welfare Hall, drawing 1,018 fans in the hometown of Giant Baba, which I think was a uh, bit of a, you know, really good number for them. Yeah, I think it's the best number since like 2013 or something. So like this goes even back like way before Corona times. Mm hmm. Uh, the and they really are kind of the, and I think they're also like kind of the only promotion that still runs that place because I think Noah used to run it as well, but they kind of stopped a few years ago. Uh, so really, all Japan is still the only one that still goes there, and I think this number really just kind of shows like there is money in like giving like still going to these places and actually also giving them something to sink their teeth into because you get like crowds like this. Yep, definitely. So we opened with the Tajiri and Takuro Nikki defeating Izanagi and Black Mensure in 7 minutes and 31 seconds when Tajiri used a cradle. I can barely remember anything from this match, but I don't think it was offensive at all. It was. I think they actually sort of like worked seriously in this, if I recall uh, what I wrote in my review properly. But, you know, it was just an opening match there. Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, Shuji Ishikawa defeated Rising Hayato in 7 minutes and 49 seconds with a running knee lift. Um, wasn't thrilled with sort of 
having Hayato lose to a heavyweight right after his big title challenge. But this is a pretty good match for just mm-hmm. under eight minutes. Uh, Ishikawa's a good base. Hayato yeah. got in a lot of offense, and it yeah. was actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was fine. I it's kind of shared those fears as well. It's like he's going to lose a match right out of the gate, but Ishikawa actually gave him a ton. Like, especially given how short the match was as well. Like, he very easily could have just dominated him for seven minutes and pinned him. But he actually bumped for him uh, a bit, and yeah, so I think it was fine. And then uh, Jun Sato and Rei Sato defeated Hikaru Sato and Dan Tamara in 10 minutes and 31 seconds when Rei used a drill a hole pile driver on Dan. I think this is just to establish that they're above the All Asia tag titles, yeah. which is a questionable move, I think, considering this match wasn't very good. No. Uh, I think it really exposed the Saitos here because Sato and Tamara are not sort of the opponents they should be facing. No, they, I think the Saitos are best if they just face like other big looks, basically. Yep. I think that hides their weaknesses the best. Yes, because I thought, we'll get into this, their match at Shinkiba first ring was a lot better against yep. a bunch of big guys. And then the uh, very illustrious Yoshitatsu 20th anniversary match. Suwama defeated Yoshitatsu <laughs> in 10 minutes and 44 seconds with a backdrop suplex. Uh, this was the weakest Suwama versus Yoshitatsu match I've ever seen. Yeah, I was actually, actually <laughs> like I said, I was actually weirdly looking forward to this because they just have that good chemistry, but it just did not come across here at all. Well, That's, well, yeah. we can blame, I think, the Voodoo Murders uh, Suwama style for uh, yeah. uh, that a lot. Yeah. Um, just, I mean, you know, but it's also like Yoshitatsu is just basically in just complete coast mode at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's been totally cycled. Well, we'll get to that later. But he's mostly been cycled down to opening match duty. So, yeah, you know, what it, it is what it is. Uh, not that I'm complaining, but <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't completely blame him either for going just going through the motions. Yeah. And in an All Japan 50th anniversary special match, Masanobu Fuchi, Atsushi Onida, and Yuma Anzai defeated Jinsei, Shinzaki, Masao Inoue, and Ryo Inoue in 14 minutes and 2 seconds with an inside cradle from Fuchi on, on uh, Masao Inoue. Uh, again, there was some, you know, some fun <laughs> stuff in here, but you don't need to go 14 minutes. No. But also, I mean, we were actually talking about it on the last show, like which Inoue is going to take the fall here. And it turns out it was actually Masao Inoue and not Ryo Inoue. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate uh, them giving Fuchi all of these wins in the 50th anniversary matches. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it feels appropriate, to be honest. Like, I mean, at this point, he is kind of the heart and soul of the promotion. Yeah, and uh, I noticed um, Misao, in a way, is booked on, like, a few undercards here and there going forward. So you can look forward <laughs> to seeing more of him in all Japan. Great. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I mean, but I'm also, like, Yuma Anzai is on the winning team. I think that was also noticeable. Yes, definitely. Picking up the first win of his career. Technically, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have a feeling the first pin of his career isn't that far behind. No. Um, oh, it's also funny because remember when uh, Noah stopped using Misao in a way for a bit and then he started popping up in All Japan again, I think like 2018, 2019? Yeah. Do you think like at some point, like six months from now, Noah, and Noah. just call him back. <laughs> Maybe. Because they they've done that several times, it seems. Like, okay, get out of here. Oh, you can come back. <laughs> what do you even do in Noah? <laughs> uh, well, he's Funky Express. I guess. So you just 
I mean, true. I mean, you can just put him back in opening match duty and he just pops back into all Japan in two years. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Sure. As long, as long as it's just like an opener, it's whatever. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. And then uh, next up, Shitaro Ashino, Ryuki Honda, Yusuke Kodama, and Sego Tachibana defeated Jake Lee, Yuma Aoyagi, Atsuki Aoyagi, and Hoku Tomori in 13 minutes and 42 seconds when Honda used the final vent on Omori. Uh, this is pretty good. Uh, yeah. I mean, as uh, it was expected to be. Yes, exactly. You know, That's mean, the thing. <laughs> I mean, just I don't know. Who is I don't know. Match. Like, there's not, like it's a you know, it's a very good match against very, two very good teams. I don't really have any like hot takes or anything like that. No. Yeah, that that's really my feeling as well. But I'm but well, I'm happy to see that we have that, like, that that we have that true that home army now in all Japan. Yeah. Even though they lost here. <laughs> yeah, they haven't been doing so hot. <laughs> no, they're, they're kind of like, we're the, we're the all Japan home army and we're going to lose every match. Yeah. And for the Triple Crown, but also Takao Mori's 30th anniversary special match, Kento Miyahara defeated uh, Takao Mori in 24 minutes and 41 seconds with the shutdown German suplex. I really enjoyed this. I went uh, four stars. I thought they worked hard amori you know worked as hard as he could mm-hmm. at this point yes he moves very slow but he hit all of his big moves he they did the spot where like miyahara sort of beat the crap out of him and omori collapsed and then fuchi gets on the apron and like looks like he's about to throw in the towel but then omori comes back and hits quite a few big moves that get some ne- some pretty darn good near falls but then uh um miyahara finished him with the shutdown German. And I thought this was a pretty fitting um, match to do in a place like Sanjo for the 50th anniversary, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, yes, Takao Mori really went all out here as much as he still can. Uh, I think it was also like an amazing performance for Miyahara himself as well. Like I think when necessary, he sold he sold all of Omori's stuff incredibly well. But then he also like, wind in on him like really really viciously like yeah as you mentioned like that spot with Fuji I think that to me is like the most memorable portion of the match where I think it also just showed like showed like Kento's dominance as well where he just beat just beats Omori like so hard that his corner is just like so close to just basically be like okay let's just stop this because you might actually hurt yourself here and then he just is like no and he just shows that fire and he just still tries to come back, but then he, Miyahara is just better. He's just younger, he's faster, he's stronger, and he just beats Omori definitively. And I think there's also like a fitting end in a way for like, I mean, obviously it's not the end of Omori's career, but I think like this is like the end for him as a title challenger in any way. Like this Assuming is there's not very a split likely. in the company. <laughs> yeah, true, it is all Japan. <laughs> but... <laughs> If everything stays the way it is right now, then this is going to be his last ever Triple Crown match. And it should be as well. Like, I don't think he's going to be able to outdo this one afterwards. No, uh, definitely not. But it was good, and it gave me a little warm feeling inside to see. Yes, no, it was like a very, like, it was a very fitting, like, 30th anniversary match. Like, they did that about as well as they could. And I think they also, like, basically made the spirit of Giant Barber proud with this as well. Yeah. And then we go to the very next day on October 23rd at Osaka Edeon Arena number two, drawing 689 fans, which I don't know if it's fantastic, but it's a little higher than some of their recent um, shows in this venue. Mm. Um, 
So to the opening match was Yoshi uh, Tatsu and Tajiri defeated Izanagi and Black Menso Ray in six minutes and 31 seconds when Yoshi Tatsu used a cockroach driver on Menso Ray. And I wrote down this match was uh, in my review on voiceofwrestling.com. This was uh, wrestled very straight and serious. And le- as we'll talk about later, I then realized why. Yeah. <laughs> but it was fine for what it was. Yeah. Especially because this would lead to a title challenge. Actually, two yes. of them. <laughs> Yeah. And then next up, we had uh, Jun Saito and uh, Rei Saito defeating Yuji Nagata and Yuma Anzai in 10 minutes and 41 seconds with a Cobra Clutch Slam from Jun on uh, Anzai. This was definitely better than the um, match the day before. Yeah. Because Nagata and Anzai were better suited for them. I wouldn't call it great, but it was perfectly acceptable. Yeah. I think Anzai kind of sold off as like selling here as well. Yeah, so I think it's definitely already clear that he's like actually pretty good at that as well, and he's only gonna get better at it going forward. Like, oh, is he yeah. already better than both Saitos? Yes, would say so. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's. Yeah, I think technically is. If you put if you put Ray Saito in with Miyahara and you put Anzai in with Miyahara, I'm pretty confident that Anzai would have a better match. Yeah. But they would be very different styles, right? Yes. Like this yes. is why no, I yeah, yeah. this is why, despite everything, I still like the Saitos because they're different. Yes, they, they are. have that retro sumo style that has sort of disappeared, mostly. Well, not completely, but it's not as prevalent in like Piro as it used to be. Yeah, because I was about to say we just need to kind of take a look over into DDT to still see someone doing it there <laughs> and being yeah, yeah. quite significantly better at it but oh, yeah yeah <laughs> oh and they've also got uh yuki ishida too yeah who does the sort of little guy sumo gimmick who i really like too yeah no but, but they, it, they, they do they do feel different in all japan and they are big guys which is all, which has always been like all japan's forte yeah. but uh uh, uh, thumbs down to All Japan TV for uh, silencing Dream Warriors yeah, on the entrance. Yeah. <laughs> Unacceptable. Unacceptable, yes. Um, next up, we had the All Asia Tag Team title match. Hikaru Sato and Dan Tamara defeated Yusuke Kodama and Sega Tachibana in 13 minutes and 26 seconds with a Death Valley bomb from Tamara on Tachibana uh, for their first defense of the titles. Um, this was a fun little match. Very nice to see Dan get the win here, too. Uh, this mm-hmm. is about what I expected, like a you know, like a three and a half, three to three quarter match. Mm-hmm. Pretty good action. Yeah, I thought uh, it was a little slow at first, but I thought it built up really well. Yes, and I was hoping that this was going to be the first defense of what was going to be a long title reign. But alas, we're going to talk about that when we talk about the next show. <laughs> uh, yeah. Next up, uh, there's a lot to unpack here. I have to say, uh, T Hawk L Lindemann. Issei Onetsuka and Shigehiro Irie defeated Jake Lee, Yuma Aoyagi, Hokuto Omori, and Ryo Inoue in 10 minutes and 16 seconds when uh, Onetsuka uh, pinned Inoue with a spear. First off, obviously a great match. Strong mm-hmm. hearts in all Japan, and the multi-mans always deliver against, mm-hmm. you know, four very good wrestlers. Uh, but we got to talk about Jake Lee, uh, a very popular topic here. Uh, <laughs> Is he undergoing he a char- yet another character transformation? Because Probably. he whipped out and gave atomic drops to every member of Stronghearts. And then, and he continued to do it on the show that we'll talk about after that. Mm-hmm. So what's up with this? A uh, friend of the show, uh, Patrick, noted that uh, uh, Jake has 
debuted his anti-ass based offense. Is he going to be a giant version of uh, uh, what's his face again? The funky weapon. Uh, I'm blanking on his name now. New Japan. Taguchi? Yeah, is he going to be like the <clears throat> tall version of uh, Taguchi? Well, I mean, no, it's the anti-ass-based offense, yeah. So is, right. is, oh, that, is that is going to be his goal to get into a New Japan booking where he like <laughs> deliberately gives himself a gimmick that is like the opposite of a New Japan guy? Like He like continuously downgrades himself as like, I want to have a match <laughs> at, at, at Wrestle Kingdom with Tanahashi too. I want to be in a G1 to like, I want to wrestle Taguchi because I'm the <laughs> anti-ass-based wrestler. <laughs> well, I mean, the way it started is, and which I thought was really funny, because Irie and Onitsuka come out and start making fun of Jake and pointing at the sky and everything like that, mm. which made me laugh, <laughs> right? So, you know, he was, they were rubbing it in Jake's face, and then he came back and sort of went after them with the atomic drops. But, yeah, I just thought that sort of stood out here. I mean, maybe <laughs> this is like, yeah, I mean, like, because... Once, like, now the total eclipse is done and everything, and he's kind of a face, like, his current getup and all that doesn't really make sense anymore. No, no, like, I would assume he's going to have a new get outfit up. At, for the yeah. tag league. Yeah, <clears throat> I could say that. But, I mean, then we're oh, probably right. just going to see yet another, like, doomed Jake Lee faction being formed soon that will go nowhere. <laughs> and then next up was Takao Mori, Shuji Ishikawa, and the bodyguard defeating... Kento Miyahara, Rising Hayato, and Oji Shiba in 12 minutes and 2 seconds when the bodyguard made Shiba submit to the camel clutch. I got to say, even though the teams were sort of mismatched by size, I thought this was actually a pretty good little match. Mm-hmm. Like, thanks to, like, Hayato and Shiba bumping around. I also liked the reaction of Kento Miyahara to bodyguard singing. Oh, yes. He just stared a hole in <laughs> bodyguard when he was coming out there singing. It was hilarious. That was probably the best part of the match. But yeah, otherwise, it was actually a pretty solid match as well. And Uji Shiba just continues to show that he does belong. And like, like I said, if his body can keep up, then he should definitely be a regular in this promotion. Not just on Osaka show, but they should actually try and convince him to actually like tour a bit with them as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the next up was the PWF World Junior Heavyweight Championship. Atsuki Aoyagi defeated Minoru in 16 minutes and 9 seconds of the Firebird Splash for his second defense of the title. I thought this was pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minoru actually did bring his working boots on. Mm-hmm. He pulled out stuff like a moonsault, which I can't remember the last time I saw him do that. Maybe he has. Um, and he put over Aoyagi properly after the match, mm-hmm. even though he was a heel. And, yeah. like, showed him respect and everything like that. So I thought this was great. And Aoyagi's, like, title run is just off to a running start. It's, like, yes. the best thing in this company. Yes. Right now, definitely, this promotion is kind of carried by the junior division. As weird as that sounds. If you tell that, if you tell <clears> that to <throat> someone from, in, like, 2018, that, like, you know what the best thing about All Japan is? It's, it's junior division. They're going to, like... And then they ask, oh, is, is, is Koji Iwamoto in his 13th reign as a junior <laughs> No, he runs a gym. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I thought this was an excellent match as well. Uh, definitely my favorite match on the show. Yeah. And, yeah, as I said, like, this was really, this is, a, this, yeah, this reign is about as, going about as well as I really could have expected it to. It's second defense, second excellent match, and... Uh, Atsuki is really showing that, like, he is the guy in the junior division and that he also deserves to be the guy in the junior division. Absolutely. And, um, 
I think it was after this match everybody came out, all the juniors, or at least the most of the contracted juniors in Hikaru Saito, who's technically a freelancer. Mm-hmm. And then Aoyagi said, oh, well, let's have a tournament. And so, yeah, we'll get to that in a bit. But there's going to be a junior battle of glory going on at the same time as the Real World Tag League, mm-hmm. which has its pluses and minuses, I think. We'll, but we'll discuss that in, in a minute. Mm-hmm. And the next up, oh, God, mm-hmm. the uh, World Tag Team Championship, Suwama and Kono defeated Shitaro Ishino and Ryuki Honda in 1539 when Suwama used a back drop suplex against, of course, Ashino. Of course. And the champions failed in their uh, fifth defense. This match was shit. Yeah. Like, the only... Actually, you know, I gave it one and a half stars, and I gave the Suwama versus Jake Lee triple crown match a dud because I thought for, like, a brief minute there, Ashino and Honda looked good when they were in control. But that's the only good thing I'll say about this match. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it was awful. Lots of interference. Seto Brothers got involved. Taru threw the powder. And, yeah... Just, yeah, awful. Yeah. No, this was not good. This was just... Because after the junior title match, I was like, okay, they've really toned down all of the like voodoo murderer stuff and everything. It was just a straight-up match, and it was fine. And then they just go in, and they do this. And it's just... Basically, they saved up all of the voodoo murderer's bullshit for this match. And it's just bad, just all the way through... I would also say that the Jake Lee title loss was worse because I think that one actually did damage to the company. Whereas I don't think this does do damage to the company, but it's still like still not a good look. And Ashino's and Honda's reign was excellent, and I just don't think a Suwama and Kono reign is going to be that in any way, shape, or form. And I really hope it's a short reign. And I'm also just really tired of Suwama just constantly being involved in like the title picture like either he's the triple crown champion or he's involved in a triple crown match or he's the tag team champion or he's involved in a tag title match and it's just constantly non-stop like what is the longest time period in like the last like 10 years where Suwama like where he wasn't injured where Suwama wasn't involved in a title like picture like in a title match uh this summer in the world tag team title division yeah, when it was like Honda and Ashino. Um, now, yeah, but then he was in he was triple crown. Yeah, he was champion. triple crown. That's what yeah. I mean. Like, I, I don't mean just tag title. I mean both tag title or triple crown, either or. Where he just wasn't involved in any title program for either title, like in the last ten years, where he wasn't injured. Like, because if he if he's not injured, he's involved in a title picture for either of those titles constantly. Yeah, it's. And now I'm like worried he's still going to be involved in the Triple Crown scene later because he's still involved in the tag. I don't know. It's just uh, maddening and frustrating. Just because like we said with Atsuki, like. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. And I just want to let you know about a brand new sponsor we have for the network. It's Eufy. And let me tell you a little bit about their newest product, the Eufy Video Smart E330. This isn't your everyday smart lock. This is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell offering triple the security and triple the convenience. Instead of loading up your door with a bunch of different devices, you install one, and it takes care of everything in a complete 
package. It's not just about the home security, though. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is also for convenience. No more worrying about losing keys. You can let each member of your family get a password. You can monitor their movement in and out of the house. You can keep an eye on your packages. You can check in on your house while you're away. There is so much you can do with this product. Best of all, it is easy to install and set up. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver. Leave that drill in the toolbox. The Eufy has keyless entry, a 0.3 second fingerprint recognition, a rechargeable battery with a four month lifespan, two way audio from the lock, enhanced night vision, 24 seven customer support. And you'll love this. None of those pesky monthly fees. Eufy sent me a smart lock 330 and I've loved it so far. It allows me peace of mind when I'm at work or when I'm away on one of my patented vacations. Plus it helps me keep track of deliveries to the house, saves me a trip back to the car. If I just need to run in for something and I forgot my keys and the two way audio system works well for those unwanted guests at my front door. No, I do not need new siding or windows or a roof. Thank you, though. You can simply tell them you aren't interested from the comfort of your couch. Now, are you ready to ditch the others and join the Eufy revolution? Of course you are. Get started today by searching Eufy Video Lock on your search engine of choice. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can finally, once and for all, gain complete control of your door. Once again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock ufiofficial.com slash video lock and we thank them for sponsoring the voice wrestling podcast network if you like two days or a day before this match you could say the two best things in all japan were aski Yagi and then ashino and honda yeah they're tiny easily easily and now yeah. that's just all kind of flushed down the toilet for like yet another suvama rain Okay, so we'll talk about this now, I guess, because we already sort of talked about the Real World Tag League on the last episode. Do you think Ashino and Honda are now winning the Real World Tag League to get revenge? I think they're definitely a lot more likely to do that now, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's my prediction now. But, he, look... I mean, now I would is... actually still... I would actually now go with your previous prediction of Jake Lee and Yuma Iyagi, because obviously now it's not going to be the Saitos. Um, but I think... Ashino and Honda are definitely like second most likely now. Well, I, what I think is that they're just replaying the Triple Crown storyline sort of with uh, the World Tag Team titles. And um, Ashino, well, it's a little different because there was a transitional champion in between. Yeah, but I, I do exactly really because think it would actually be the same if, actually, if, if they just transition it to Yuma Iyagi and Jake Lee instead. Yeah. Then it would be the same um, as the Triple Crown. And so. I do think Ashino and Honda is winning, and I think I this might be maybe me putting too much faith in this booking, but I think Suwama pinning Ashino meant something as opposed to just getting Honda being pinned. Yeah, but so I do, how often are we going to say that with Suwama pinning Ashino? Like, yeah, yeah. When is that actually ever going to pay off? Like at this point, that's getting even more ridiculous than like the whole like Mudo and Kaito thing. Oh, for sure. Because it's just been um, going for like the entire time. This has been going for two years, which is Suwama. Like we've been doing this since Suwama pinned Ashino in a triple crown match after Ashino joined the promotion. Yeah. I mean, look, if, you know, All Japan, like on that October 2nd Cork and Hall show, their video packers are like, All Japan, the next generation. Well, if you're doing All Japan, the next generation, 
what you do is you have Jake and Yuma win the tag league, and then they face Ashino and Honda in January yeah. at Cork yes. and Hall. And, not and that's Suwama. your big, big match. Not only you know do you push to both the young talents, but it's also the best possible match you can have. Yeah, I think for the tag titles at this point. Um, so yeah, I mean it's just LOL, nothing matters moment type thing. <laughs> um, you know, but I I am still leaning towards Ashino and Honda winning the Real World Tag League now because also. And I was writing because I was working on the preview last night that will be on Voice of Wrestling. There's something about the Jake and Yuma team. The more I think about it, the more it doesn't feel like it's long for this world. No, I I also don't hope that, especially after the Shin Kiba show we're going to talk about next. Yeah. So we'll go to that show. Uh, One of the funner All Japan shows, I thought, recently, just because of the cheering of anything else. And so on October 30th, uh, hashtag AJPW Halloween Mania X or Maniacs. However, I don't know how it's actually supposed to be pronounced. I shouldn't keep it first ring and drawing 300 fans. So that's not a, um, that's not social distance. No, I mean, you also can't social. Have you ever been in Shinkiba? No, I've ne- I haven't been to Japan. Oh, okay. Um, so I have actually, I've done actually a couple of shows in Shinkiba when I was there. And it's basically, it's just this warehouse in this industrial district on like mm-hmm. the outskirts of Tokyo, basically. Uh, and yeah, you definitely can't social distance in there at all because it's uh, what you see is what you get, basically. It's like, like there's like two rows of chairs, like to the like, basically from the side of the hard cam to the left is like the edge. Like you can just fit like two rows on either side of the ring because then you have the wall there. And then on the other side is like the door to the outside of the warehouse, basically. And where actually are there quite a few people that you generally don't see on Shinkiba shows are actually next to the hard cam because there's actually like a bleacher thing there. Um, but it, it is a tiny arena, so it's basically impossible to social distance in there. Um, and I would still say, though, that you can probably like finagle some bullshit where you say that like actually like 300 is just half capacity for it. Guess if you really kind of squint your eyes, you can probably get away. Well, with I also that. I also think that most of the other venues are owned by like city or prefectural yes. governments. And Shinkiba is also not. a factor. No, I don't no. actually know who Shinkiba. It might be some honorable gentleman, uh, just based on where it is in the city. To be honest, <laughs> um, it's like by the docks, right? Yes, it's like quite literally, right? That that's what I mean. It is literally like an industrial district by the docks. Uh, and really, the only reason you would see any foreigners around there is because they're wrestling fans that want to go to a show at Shinkiba. <laughs> or those honorable gentlemen are smuggling them into the country. That might also be the case. That might also happen there. But it is actually one of my favorite venues, to be quite honest, because it, you just, it just feels like very intimate. And that came across here very well, because I think just that crowd was just insanely hot. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, like, just from the minute, like... Yeah. When was the last... Like, Izanagi... Okay, so we'll start off. Opening match, Izanagi versus Black Mensa Ray. None of these guys were getting this kind of heat no. <laughs> prior to the pandemic. <laughs> like, it's too bad that they actually muted Black Mensa Ray's theme song. Because I actually would have loved to hear, like, the people actually do, like, the shots uh, uh, call with him. Because I would assume that they probably did that. Yeah. So, opening match... Uh, ten minute draw. Yeah, I mean you've seen this match a billion times before yeah. between these two. Uh, perfectly acceptable wrestling. Um, next up, 
Uh, Shotaro Shino and Ryuki Honda defeated Takao Mori and Masao Inoue in 7.27 with an ankle lock for Mishino on Inoue. Just a match to try to get Gungnir of Anarchy's heat back. Yeah. thought it was fine for what it was. Yeah, no, definitely. But, I mean, yeah, we'll see what happens with them in the real world tackling. Uh, uh, so former partners collide in Hokuto Amori defeating Yusuke Kodama in 6 minutes and 48 seconds with the Muso Isin. Mm-hmm. I think I was sort of disappointed with this match just given their history and how short it was. But it's fine. But I mean, just I kind of expected more. Yeah, it was fine. It's also weird that we got a singles match here when we kind of are just going to get this again soon. Yeah. Oh, oh no, wait. No, Kodama isn't. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Kodama no, isn't. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. And then for, for the Geora TV title, uh, Toshizo defeated Masao Hanabada. And if before you ask who that is, it's Sego Tachibana. Mm-hmm. Which is that his shoot name that he's now going by or something? I don't know the story behind him, his name change. I think it might be. But he did already get cheers for it. Like, he did already get calls for it as well. Yeah. So, um, let me just take a look uh, at it. Toshizo defeated him in 10 minutes with a fisherman's buster mm-hmm. for the third defense. Uh, I actually kind of like this match because I'm a big Tachibana slash Hanabata fan, and I thought he performed really well here. Yeah. And Toshizo is. I wouldn't solid. say he works super hard, but he's a very solid professional wrestler. Yeah, I think that's really like the best way you can sum up Toshizo. It's just incredibly solid. And it, yeah. that's just a weird thing with like Voodoo Murderers right now. You have Toshizo and Minoru who like... Oh, we forgot to mention. Part of it, Mino- but just... No, Min- Minoru got turfed out of Voodoo Murders at, after the main event oh. of the, the show at Osaka. Yeah. Because not only did Sorry, he lose, <laughs> but he showed respect yeah. to Atsuki Aoyagi. But that's the thing, like, like Toshizo also doesn't cheat. <laughs> Thing like he's part of Voodoo Murderers, but he's no, just wrestling straight matches. Like, it's very weird. Yeah. Which is, I'll take it. You know, I thought this True. was a nice little match, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I, I'll definitely take it. It's just kind of bizarre. And another groan inducing result <sighs> for the All Asia Tag Team Championship Yoshitatsu and Tajiri defeated Hikaru Sato and Dan Tamara in 10 minutes and 51 seconds. Uh, when uh, Yoshitatsu used the Yoshitatsu Fantasy uh, for the submission on Tamara, um, and they failed in their second defense. Uh, I don't know what the hell this decision was. Although, didn't we talk about Sato and Tamara probably not having a long reign with these titles? Yeah, we did talk about it, but... I, I don't think, like, after not losing like, to a team ex- like this. Yeah, because I expected them after they beat, like, Tachibana, uh, Tachibana and Kodama, that... They were gonna have like a bit of a longer reign because just that was like a very logical team for me to drop them to if they had a short reign. Uh, but yeah, no. Instead, they were just like, "How about we put it on Yoshitatsu and Tajiri instead?" It's like, okay, sure. However, we were treated to some mist for the first time since yes. the pandemic. Yes. When Tajiri misted Tamara, which sort of led up to the ending. To be quite I, honest, that's really about the only thing I remember from this match. <laughs> you know, I thought the match wasn't bad. And, and you'll probably laugh at me now after after the results of this match. But I really thought there for a second there that Tamara was going to pin Yoshitatsu. <laughs> because it was just like, no, they're not winning the titles. And it was like, you know, it felt like a finishing stretch between the two. And then like... I mean, Sato, was, yes, and, you're correct. And T- Tajiri were like on the outside. And I'm like, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. No. Nope. <laughs> well, especially given how Yoshitatsu has been treated recently, I thought. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, Dan is still, like, I still wouldn't expect Yoshitatsu to get pinned by Junior. That's the thing. Yeah. Speaking of transitional champions, I hope that's all they are. 
Well, I mean, given who the challengers are, I wouldn't be so sure. Oh, yeah, that's right, because uh, Izanagi and Black Metsuri came out to challenge. Yeah. So we'll be getting that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like it had something to do with the Junior Battle of Glory, but I don't know. I don't think you had to take the titles off of them for that. No. It's just bizarre. Oh, well. I mean, it is the All-Asia Tag titles, but it's still... Still, but like waste. Sato and Tamar were like the perfect team to have a long run yeah. with them. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. Like this and team then, just does nothing for me. Like I would yeah. actually would have liked it more if they had dropped it to Tajibana and Kodama. For sure. And the next up, we had Naoya Nomura finally returning after a month or so. Because I think he, last time he was in that match against Kento at Korkin was his yeah. last appearance. He defeated Yuma Anzai in six minutes and 43 seconds, the maximum Paul, this was pretty damn good for yes. a six-minute and 43-second match. I thought this was better than Anzai's debut match against Nagata, actually. Yeah, I would say it's his best match so far. Yeah. And, um, I mean, Nomura certainly, like, roughed up Anzai quite a bit, but Anzai got mm-hmm. a lot and even kicked out of a spear. That yeah. got a big pop out of the crowd. Yeah, I actually expected that to be the finish, honestly. And yeah, that crowd actually went nuts for that for that yeah. kickoff. And, and Anzai's, or I guess we should mention, like, everybody's over, but, like... Yeah. Did you notice how over Ashino was? Yeah, Ashino was super over. Like, there was another guy that I was like, I expected him to be over, but I didn't expect him to be this over, what we're going to talk about that um, later. But Anza is definitely over, and as is Nomura. Like, Nomura, like, I just really, need to Really? Because I, I thought Nomura got a pop, but I don't think mm-hmm. he got a, as big a pop as I was expecting. I mean, he was gone for a long time, so I actually didn't yeah. really expect him to be super over, and he isn't really a, like a super regular. But I definitely would say that Anza is already over, which is yep. very encouraging to see. Definitely. And the next up, we had the Voodoo Murders team of Suwama, Jun Saito, and Rei Saito, Saito uh, defeating Jake Lee and Shuji Ishikawa, uh, Jake Lee, Shuji Ishikawa, and Ryo Inoue in 13 minutes and 56 seconds when uh, Suwama is a backdrop in, on Inoue. I just thought this was a actually kind of decent match. Yeah. And the um, Saito's worked a lot better against uh, Lee and Ishikawa. Yeah. yeah, like I said, they, they just really need to like face big guys, and that's all they should face. Which is why I think the Real World Tag League will be good for them. Yeah. Because it's mostly big guys. Yes, exactly. So I think, they, I think they're actually in for like a solid tournament. They're obviously never going to be like great, but like if you put them in there with the right guys, they can have like a decent match at least. Yeah. And then in the main event, Kento Miyahara and Rising Hayato defeated Yuma Aoyagi and Atsuki Aoyagi in 18 minutes and 3 seconds with the shutdown German suplex hold from Miyahara on Yuma. Hmm? I thought the roof was going to come off on this building <laughs> in this match, Paul. Everybody was so over. Hayato yeah. was even more over than I expected. I expected Atsuki to be, but Hayato was a nice surprise as well. Yeah. It's, I, I, I actually had like a tear in my eye when the Kento chance rang out. Oh my! Like oh my God! So did basically I. Basically sitting there for the chance. entire time. <laughs> oh, I also. This is funny. I should have mentioned this earlier, but on the, in the first match when they did the Kohei call when he got announced <laughs> yeah. as a referee, that also warmed my heart. Yes, yes. I was like, I'm, I'm happy that like Wada stuck around at least to get like to until they could do the Kohei call again. <laughs> I was like, I'm, that made me as like I have my problems with him like being like the slowest ref now, but like I was so happy to hear that again and like that his career as a ref didn't end to like where crowds can't do that so yeah and then the Kanto chance just 
And you could see it on Kento's face in the ring as well when he like was just like, oh god, so happy that they can do this again. Like it was so obvious that everyone was just missing this so much. Yeah. But then also Now, when Hayato came out first and the crowd like realized, oh wait, we're just chanting Kento and we actually like Hayato and then they actually like switched mid chant from Kento to Hayato. Yeah. I mean, this match was pretty great. It was not yeah. what they did in May for that 30 minute draw, but they also did a lot more like, you know, mugging for the crowd. Like mm -hmm. Yuma and Kento tried to each get the crowd to chant their names and yeah. see who could win over the crowd the most, right? And Yuma was yeah, also. I mean, yeah, because over. talk about like, holy shit, Yuma Yoyagi's over. Yeah. Like, wow. <laughs> like, they, they just. They, What else does he need to do? Like, put the triple crown. That, and, like, after this match, I was like, they can't have the Jake Lee, Yuma Iyoyagi team be, like, yeah, a long-term sure. thing. Because this yeah. man needs to win the triple crown in January. Oh, that's soon, eh? He, it's just... What else does he need to do? He's selling tickets. He's selling merch. He's over like crazy. Put the title on him. Just pull the wow. trigger. Just do it. Like, they should I have done it in Budokan. Like yeah. Now is their chance to rectify the mistake they made. Yeah. He's still hot. So just like I already didn't like that he took the pin here. Like I think that actually took like a little bit of like the air out of it as well. Like I, I don't think the crowd actually wanted to see that. No. They definitely didn't. See, I'm wondering though, I'd be curious when they announce some of their schedule for early 2023 if they're running any bigger than Corkin shows. Because I would watch out for that to mm -hmm. see if that's where they do Yuma versus Kento with the title change. I could see that. Like I said, it's either if they run something early in the year that is bigger than Kurokan, I could see that. Otherwise, I would say maybe that they're going to... I mean, they should do it at the like, New Year's show. Because who else are you going like, to have like Kento face? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think Kento's actually facing Takuya Nomura in January. Because I think yeah. what's going to happen is their their tag team is going to like do well at first, and then it's going to melt down, and they're going to just be at each other's throats. To be fair, that would make a lot of sense as well. But yeah, I mean, or otherwise, like I don't know, you could also just run back Yuma winning the Champions Carnival again, and then you just beats uh, him that's not time. the worst idea if you ask me. Just back to back Champions Carnivals, and then he just beats Kento and just wins. Yeah, because I think that that's the, the maximum way to build anticipation for that. But yeah. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't go much further than mid-2023 with no, Yuma. No, he absolutely needs to win this title in 2023. Absolutely, for sure. All right, so that's the show. I enjoyed it. Um, actually, just the cheering was just made a huge difference. Yeah, it just makes such a massive difference. I just hope that they just do this. Like, Hopefully, they will be able to do it in more and more shows going forward, but they should just do it in Shinkiba anyway. Yeah. Um, and then, so, the Junior Battle of Glory was announced, and... The participants are Atsuki Aoyagi, Hikaru Sato, Rising Hayato, Hokuto Omori, Dan Tamara, and Ryo Inoue. It will happen during the Real World Tag League on all the shows. And then the finals of the tournament with the top two point getters will face each other on the last night of the Real World Tag League on, I believe, uh, December 13th or whatever it is. And mm -hmm. Korokin. And should be important to note that it's just 10-minute time limits. Which I think is going to be helpful. I think But, it's going to get, yeah, yeah, there'll be some wonky booking with lots of time draw, minute yeah. limit draws. Um, Are you surprised that Hokuto Mori is in there? Yeah, I kind of was. 
I felt like they were making him a heavyweight with that whole Minoru Suzuki thing. Yeah, and then him beating Kodama as well, but then he's yeah. just in here. Uh, are you surprised? Well, I guess, I don't know. I just felt like this tournament could be even so much better if you could get like a Tachibana and Kodama in there or Oji Shiba. Yeah. I mean, I am happy that they're now able to kind of fill out one of these tournaments with just their own guys. Yeah. They could have put some other guys in there as well. I mean, something that I'm actually curious about, Kodama's a teacher, right? Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, I think Kodama actually works as a bit... It's interesting to think about because obviously he's not going to like stand there in his like normal wrestling makeup, but just <laughs> imagine if that guy's your teacher. <laughs> um, like, is this maybe like a time, I, like, I don't know the Japanese like school calendar if that like interferes with any like big exam period or anything like that. And maybe that's the reason he's not in there. Maybe. Um, well, I mean, it's like you got to do uh, another round robin tournament over eight shows, right? Mm. So, it is what it is, but... Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it'd still be good. Yeah, I, f I still like the lineup, though. Um, I'm actually sort of going with Hokuto winning this, especially since they kept him around in his. I could see that. I could also see Hikaru Sato winning it. Yeah. Where he could well, then challenge... Uh, so, Atsuki. actually, he, here's the last block night in Osaka on... Or December 4th. Sorry, I think the finals are on December 7th or something. Um, so it's Atsuki versus Dan Tamara. Mm -hmm. Is that a Dan upset? It could be a Dan upset, yeah. To eliminate now, Atsuki. here's why I think Hokuto might be winning. It's Hokuto versus Sato. And Sato and Hokuto have had mm -hmm. like a number of matches before. But, but then who do you won. think is going to the finals? Because then one of the, like, there has to be a combination of these going to the, so like Rising and Hayato rising and Hokuto Mori. So I could see, yeah, I could see Rising Hayato versus Hokuto Mori. That's my guess. I could see that. I could also see Rising Hayato versus Hikaru Sato as a final. Yeah, that's very possible too. I mean, it's it's, I mean, it's good in that like mm -hmm. you can. It's unpredictable. Yeah, there's multiple. Yeah, you come certainly come up with more yeah. winners and final combinations than you can for the real world tag league. Yeah, no, definitely. There's definitely a lot more intrigue here. Like who's actually. Like, oh, uh, another thing I wanted to say about the real world tag league is. Now that I feel like Ashino and Honda will win, obviously, you know, we'll see. I just have a bad feeling about my predictions in this company right now. But still, <laughs> I think we're getting like a finals final. Like, could yeah, you, you see mentioned that last time as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but I feel like it's even stronger now. I mean, but we're already going to have a final match on that show because we're going to have the Junior Battle of Glory final on that show. Yeah, well. that's true, too. I don't know. We'll see. And uh, Paul, we have one more thing to talk about. With all Japan. It's the most you know bizarre angle. <laughs> it's the most bizarre angle I've seen in a long time. We it have about our... Tsuwama and uh, him bringing in uh, the uh, Ozaki and Yuhiki. I'm into it. I, I'm not going to lie. It is, it is. But it's like so out of nowhere. Well, the, the, the seeds were, were laid when Mayumi Ozaki sent a message to um, Tsuwama on Twitter. So on December 25th, it is Tsuwama and... Mayumi Ozaki in Maya Yukihi versus Suji Ishikawa, X and X. Um, I don't think they've announced the this. Of zones. <laughs> I don't think it's. I don't think it's any of the Evolution girls. You don't think so? Would they debut them in a match like this? 
as access as well. But who else is it going to be? Well, people are thinking it's one of them's Unagi Sayaka. That wouldn't make a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. Um, well, so yeah, Shuji made a tweet being like, I need to defeat these demons with some holy power. Yeah. Or it's She's going an to be angel. the holy demon army. It's going to be Akira Tower and Toshiaki Kawada. <laughs> now, I don't think this was announced by, as a no DQ, but I honestly think it should be a no DQ match. It should be, yeah. Because, I mean, if you're not familiar, Mayumi I mean, you're Ozaki, have, like, what are the odds on a police run-in? Oh, very high. <laughs> we are now the big All Japan debut of police. <laughs> so, Mayumi Ozaki, for those that are not familiar, is like a Joshi legend. Um, she was involved in the, actually, she's involved in some of the best tag matches of all time, mm-hmm. uh, teaming with Dynamite Kanzai against uh, Manami Toyota, Toyota and Toshio Yamada, who we'll be talking about in a minute again, actually. Uh, hint, hint. Um, and so she was in JWP, and then after that, all, you know, she starts her own promotion. Is it OZ Academy or Oz Academy? It's Oz. I always call it Oz Academy. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> but um, so. I mean, Oz Academy has been around since 1998, technically, mm-hmm. although they they weren't always so much a regular promotion. But they, they're like if the Voodoo Murders ran a Joshi promotion, sort of. Yes. Ozaki-gun has been like a thing for like a, a long time now. Yeah. But it's actually inactive now, I think. Yeah. But I mean, uh, Yukihi was a member of yeah. Ozaki-gun. So they'll be... If this isn't no DQ, there's going to be interference and like weapons in one way or another in this, right? It's actually oh, no. on, on my Japan trip. Actually, the first show I went to, like literally like four hour, four to five hours after I got off the plane, I went to an Oz Academy show in Shinjuku Face, uh, and that one actually had like a uh, a uh, Aja Kong, uh, Hiroyo Matsumoto, Kaori Oneyama, and Yoshiko. Versus Ozaki-gun, Yuhiki, uh, Mayumi Ozaki, Suri Anu, and uh, Yumi Oka. Uh, okay, but that's a free falls good. match. And it went like 30 minutes. <laughs> that sounds like it could be really good, though. It was really good. Like, I was completely jet-lagged, but I have very vivid memories of that match. That was really fun. <laughs> so yeah. I actually hope that this can get close to that. I mean, Yukihi is also an incredible wrestler, too, if you've never yes. seen it. Yes, yes. Um... So, so it really kind of depends who Shuji Ishigawa brings in for this. I mean, I, well, funnily enough, Paul, I don't know. I was on Instagram looking at Zone's Instagram. And she was decked <laughs> out you in do. voodoo. Yeah, yes, as I do. She was decked out in voodoo murders gear because she was at the Shinkiba show. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> she broke my heart, Paul. <laughs> it's actually a fun fact. It's because, you know, we have the, uh, the shared Twitter account for the show, right? And it's, you always get, like, recommended tweets. And yeah. we always get zone tweets in there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but I don't think it's any of the Evolution uh, roster. Okay. I just don't. But do we think that maybe then, like, whoever, like, the other two are, and then, like, basically the four women in this match are going to be involved in Evolution in some way? Uh, I'm going to assume that if they're working with uh, Ozaki, yeah. Yeah, which that's going to be because they probably like they can't just have like the rookies basically on these shows. No, I mean, there's, I mean, 
Joshi's still in that there's tons of freelancers or people in small companies yeah. that are constantly freelancing available. You could fill yeah. out a show pretty easily. Yeah. But I think but, having someone like Ozaki in there is going to help a lot. Well, I think obviously her experience and Yukihi is a great wrestler. Like I have, how shall I put this? It's not my favorite style of wrestling, but <laughs> I think it would be very beneficial to yeah. evolution in its early days. Yeah. Because um, then they have and, something to overcome eventually. Yeah. And I mean, well, <laughs> do you have any, uh, so I'm going with Unagi Sayaka and, um, who should be noted has been popping numbers for like small promotions. So why not bring her in? I mean, the thing, the one person that I'm thinking about, because just because, you know, Ozaki is there. The first person that comes to my mind that might be on the other side in that case would be Aja Khan. Yeah, isn't Aja's home promotion technically still Oz Academy? Yes, she is. I think she's technically still signed to Oz Academy, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's possible. That would be interesting. Just because uh, those who are kind of tied at the hip as well. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm just going with Unagi because she's the hot freelancer on the Joshi scene right now. And hmm? Shuji talked about using holy power to defeat the demons, so... She's an angel, I guess, but, you know, yeah. like, that's just a guess. I have no feeling for it. I, I, well, if they don't announce who it is before the show, then I assume it might not be the biggest names. Because if it was, like, Sayaka, you'd announce that before the show. Oh, yeah, if it was, like, Aja Kong, like, also, you, you announced that to, like, put some butts in seats. Yeah. So, uh, I, I have a feeling this December 25th show could be very weird. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> If this is where it's already going. Yeah, I mean, it's the Christmas Day show, so... Yeah. That being said, I'm still into it. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I, like, no matter who this is, I think it's actually going to be a shitload of fun. All right. And then, so, uh, that's all Japan. So, we'll close the show with my Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame ballot for mm-hmm. the first time ever. It is a true honor that I have a ballot after dreaming about it for so many years. <laughs> Uh, special thanks to Rich Kreich for making this happen, actually. Uh, I owe him for that. And so we'll start, might as well start off with Japan. Um, I tweeted out my ballot on the Emerald Flow Show Twitter account, but there have been some minor changes uh, that I'll go over quickly. So in Japan, you get five choices. I'm going with Akira Taue and Toshiaki Kawada, mm-hmm. Shingo Takagi, Minami Toyota and Toshio Yamada. And the reason for that is... Like, I am sort of ripping off the Allen for Al, like, 20 greatest in-ring <laughs> worker rule. Because yeah. I think Toyota and Yamada are, like, the third greatest tag team of all time. I think there's a reasonable argument for that, yeah. And I think they drew on top over, like, big singles matches as the tag team champions. Mm-hmm. And their singles matches, which they did while they were still a team, also drew. So mm-hmm. I think that's a... Uh, a feather in their cap longevity no yeah yeah but i think like one of the best tag teams of all time drawing while they did exist that's enough for me uh i okay so I mean, there's, def- up- there's definitely something to be said for like high peaking candidates that don't really stick around long if that peak is just insanely high oh yeah well i'll talk about that in a couple of other cases hmm. i guess 
Kawan and Tower are obvious. Shingo, yes. I think he has a he has the drawing record even in Dragon Gate, and I think in he's, multiple promotions now. I think yeah. that's really like a feather in his cap, and, and I think he's also one tremendous of the, worker. Like, I think you can make he's also one of the twenty greatest wrestlers of all time. Yeah. Really. Um, yeah. Uh, and then okay, so I originally had this penciled in as Tomohiro Ishii, but the mm-hmm. more I thought about it, I gotta go with Shima. Okay, is that an influence case then? Yeah, I mean he's got a draw. He's got a drawing record in in, yeah. in Toriyama slash Dragon Gate that you can yeah. point to. He's popped numbers in other promotions. Although I don't think those you could really say they're like Hall of Fame, fame level. Like yeah, that's the thing. Like, I think it's numbers. more for like, taking Wrestle One yeah. from nine hundred to twelve hundred in Cork and Hall is not a Hall no. of Fame case. Exactly. But it's it's proof of his um, drawing and of course influence. And he's got his fingers in like so many wrestlers that are yeah. uh, known today and influential uh, style case as well. And like I guess you kind of should start putting in the Dragon Gate guys. I, I guess. True. I mean, should the, happen. the thing is, though, obviously with Dragon Gate, and that's why, like, I'm saying that he's an influence candidate because Dragon Gate just does such heavy rotations at the top of the card. It is sometimes kind of like I think Dragon Gate, even before WWE, to me, to some degree, is like was always like the promotion that draw, like the brand is the draw, basically, like Dragon Gate itself is the draw, rather than any. Singular wrestler. Well, they, they took a business hit when Stronghearts left. They did. Not they did for long. But there was also multiple people. Like I don't just think it was because Shima left. Like, but I do think that like yeah, generally you can say that Shima was popping business when he was on top. But I'm not sure that he himself popped business in Dragon Gate to such a degree that I would say it is a Hall of Fame case. But I definitely think he's an influence guy. And then finally. Uh, Tetsuya Naito, uh, I mean, he's just too big yeah. of a business guy. Um, I think, I think both the uh, ride or die Naito fans and the Naito haters are uh, both <laughs> deep down into extremes on him. Uh, I would say that Okada, Tanahashi, Ishii, and Ibushi were all more consistent. Mm-hmm more consistent in ring than Naito. Although I would say though, something like the Tanahashi versus Naito feud in 2017 was one of the best feuds of the decade. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he can hit those highs. I just don't think he's as consistent as the others. Um, And his business case is pretty irrefutable. And really, I think merchandise sales should count. Yeah, I think, Uh, I think also in general, like in terms of drawing as well, like no, he's not as good of a draw as like Okada is. But I think he's still a pretty good draw. Like, in an alternate scenario where, like, I don't know, Okada never, like, leaves Toriumon or whatever or, like, just doesn't become a wrestler. I don't think New Japan hits the highs it has hit now. But I do think, like, Naito would still be, like, a really big draw even without Okada. Yeah. And um, I guess I should just add the two people that I would um, have... Put on the ballot if I had more room would have been Ishii and Ibushi. I will vote for them if any of these people get in um, next time. Uh, Ibushi is an interesting case because his uh, disappearance is going to hurt him, I think, among the voters. I think Ibushi has a better chance in like five, ten years, I think, once people have kind of like forgotten all of the recent stuff. Because like there is definitely a case to be made there just based on him just massively spiking business in DDT and, and with, also drawing pretty well in New Japan. And with Ishii, I, 
I was really, I mean, I had him in my ballot until I just like yesterday, actually. And um, I just think the like Shima and Takagi and Naito are more mm-hmm. deserving at yeah. this point if I only have limited votes. And because Ishii, like I love him, but he is purely a one category like guy. Like he's purely in ring, like can't really make any argument for any of the other categories. But I do think he is good enough that you can actually make a valid case for him just based off of in-ring. Yep. And then so we go to the modern U.S.-Canada. Uh, this was someone, like I, every year, even though this is only the first year I voted, I make a ballot and I drop what I would vote for. And here's uh, someone that I uh, have wanted to vote for a while. I'm going with Junkyard Dog. As we said earlier, mm-hmm. the high highs, even if they're short, if they're high enough, they should. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can make a case just for his drawing in Mid-South. And honestly, if you go and you look at like from 84 and 86 in WWF, mm-hmm. he headlines like a lot of B shows that are like five, six, seven, eight thousand people mm-hmm. against like Terry Funk, for example. And also there's a great article on voiceofwrestling.com by Rich Latta making the case for him. So if you're mm-hmm. on the fence about that, you should definitely check that out. Um, and then next, and to be got... honest, for Junkyard Dog, what, what's always kind of bothering because I think I, I also agree with you, because like those numbers he was drawing like in Mid South are just insane, and then he did still did really really well early on in his WWF run, uh, and it always kind of bothers me that like he for some reason gets judged way harder on his the end of his career just being shit, much more so than like other guys that also got in the ballot with similar that also got into the hall of fame with similar cases where for some reason it's not held as much against them as it is like held against jyd right definitely and then next up yeah and we'll talk about another guy who had an unceremonious end i think but still deserving of hall of fame but next we go with kevin carey and david von eric i mean as a trio i think it's sort of undeniable to yeah. me uh, for their world-class uh, run. And, you know, I mean, they were one of the hottest territories in the country in the 80s for several years there. So I think as a unit, it's a lot harder to make a case individually of any of them. David yeah. dies very young, even though he was probably going to win the NWA world title. And then Kevin, there's not much there on his own. And oh. there's a bit of a case for Kerry, but I don't think it's very no, good. I don't think Kerry by himself is a Hall of Famer, but I think all three, I would agree. It's like, well, I would assume that no one that is listening to this show believes the whole WWE bullshit line about, like, wrestling wasn't, like, smoky bars before WrestleMania won. Because, but if you for some reason do, then go back and watch yourself some, like, world class with, like, D3 and just them selling out gigantic arenas and just the pops that they would get are just absolutely insane they were like as a trio they were just so insanely over like they were like just women just absolutely losing their goddamn mind anytime any of these three would do anything like they were just they were absolute megastars as a trio yeah and then uh i'm going with sergeant slaughter next um i really think there's enough there uh his like early run in the 80s in mid-atlantic his wwf run one of the best big men of all time. And he's a household name. Mm-hmm. I mean, now he fell off fast, sort of came into the AWA with a lot of fanfare and then just sort of, well, the AWA fell apart. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, WrestleMania 7. 
the less said, the better. Yeah. No, look, it, but, it's, it was the bomb threat. That's why they had to change buildings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Much like there have been uh, bomb threats at some other uh, stadium shows for WWE recently, Yeah, and right? I mean, and, and, and that's obviously why they, had they, had to move, they had to move to the other arena because they couldn't have possibly bombed them in the other arena. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and then uh, my fourth and final choice in modern U.S. Canada is Paul Orndorff. Um, I really think after he died and just looking into his drawing case, there's all the stuff with Hogan, but there's stuff in Memphis and there's stuff in Mid-Atlantic and Portland. It's just, he's a really good draw, sneaky yeah. good draw. And I think it's enough to get him in. And I mean, I mean, before he's like arm atrophied in the late eighties, he was a pretty damn good worker too. Certainly yeah, one of the was... best workers in the WWF in like yeah. 1986. Yeah. Like he was definitely not someone I was even considering previously. But then I think, like, really, like, last year, kind of all of the research that was done around, like, Orndorff and everything, like, the stuff that Joe did and everything, like, that was really kind of, like, opened my eyes to just basically, like, oh, yeah, no, this guy actually, like, not just does he deserve to be on the ballot, but he should, like, actually be in as well. Yeah, and so you get five choices in modern U.S. Canada, but I had a choice, and I removed him. Maybe I'll put him back on, but I have, uh, there's some stuff I've read recently. And uh, like I heard Adam Berger on Jesse Collings uh, Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. And then Adam also put up a, a, a piece about pay-per-view draws on voicesofwrestling.com. Paul, I had, a, I had Goldberg on there. But then I was reading Adam's um, uh, drawing thing on pay-per-view. Do you know that 10 of the 13 pay-per-views that Goldberg headlined actually did less business year over year. Is it that? So what would, like, do you, okay, I can probably read the article because I haven't read the article, unfortunately, because I would be kind of curious what, uh, what those pay-per-views were, like, headlined with the year prior. Right. Because I think that um, might be a fact, but, yeah, obviously that does not look good for Goldberg and, and the, himself. There's a lot of, like, the, the thing is that his... World title run in WCW at first, he's like in the mid card because the NWO stuff's still happening. You still got yeah. Warrior and Hogan infamously at Halloween Havoc 98, even though Goldberg probably has the best match of his career against DDP on that show. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, it's very close, but mm-hmm. the more I look into it, the more that I think it hurts him. Now, his first return to WWE against. Uh, Brock, <laughs> that was a legitimate draw. That is, it was, but yeah, <laughs> the less said about that, the better in theory. Well, I think it, well, it was fine at first, but then everything after was awful, like Undertaker yeah. at Saudi and, and that sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, that was awful. That was like, that was embarrassing. But, I mean, maybe I could be swayed to put Goldberg back on. But I think but actually there might be better business arguments for those, for his WWE runs than even now for his WCW run, to be quite honest. Maybe. Yeah. Um, and because like, I mean, because I could act like as much as I hate the whole Saudi Arabia deal, right? It's legitimately subjectively awful. It does make the company an absolute shitload of money. Right. And what I'm thinking is but one of still the have reasons. But if Goldberg was actually retired, though. But that's. The thing, would that maybe have been actually been part of the negotiations where they were like, we're going to get you Goldberg. And that was one of the things that actually sealed that deal. That's very possible. Because then you can actually attribute like him with that. 
like it's it's a weird business case i realized that and it's one that is morally very dubious (laughs) yes but it's one nonetheless (laughs) yeah uh, so i could be swayed but i'm leaving them off for now I still got like two weeks before I got to submit it, but we'll see. But I can't vote. I still have an extra vote, but I can't vote for anyone else in this in this category. I'm not voting for Randy Orton. I'm not voting no, for Edge. absolutely not. I'm not voting for the Hardy Boys. This I fucking considered... podcast shuts down if you fucking vote for yeah, Randy Orton. <laughs> uh, I, I considered voting for uh, Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee, mm-hmm. but I did some because they, I thought they were like a huge tag team in Memphis, and they are to an extent. But if you yeah. go and you look, if you go, no, but I looked, I looked at their drawing record. They were drawing significantly less in the Mid South Coliseum for their tag matches on top than the big singles programs were. Yeah. So I decided no. Uh, yeah, I like they, they, they definitely a, like. Memphis tried to sell them as like a big deal as a tag team, but they were always like way better as like rivals than they ever were as a team. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, Lawler's obviously in, but there's probably a better yeah. singles case uh, for Dundee that yes, could be made yes. um, for sure. So that is modern U.S. Canada, and then uh, historical uh, June. Uh, you get eight because like Dave just threw on a billion people this year. <laughs> it's the biggest ballot ever, so you get eight historical votes. So I'm going with June Byers. Uh, she was the number one women's star in the 1950s after Mildred Burke retired. She sort of gets. Uh, she sort of lost to history because she's not Mildred Burke. And then after Byers sort of retires, it's like the fabulous Moolah just destroys women's wrestling <laughs> for 20 years. Uh, arguably well, longer. Arguably longer. <laughs> yeah, in, in North America. Yeah. Um, arguably Moolah never recovered in North herself. America to this day. Yeah. Um, but Byers is a pretty, not Mildred Burke, but he's still a very strong draw throughout the decade. Mm-hmm. So I think she really deserves it. Um. Next up, we have Pampero Furpo, who is someone that I'd never really heard of until he passed away. But I went and I researched him. He was a draw all over. He was influential to a certain extent, promo-wise uh, and like hardcore style-wise. Obviously, Randy Savage most famously took his promo style and the oh yeah from Furpo. He was also like a decent draw in multiple territories. He was uh, the number three guy in Detroit uh, behind The Sheik and Bobo Brazil. Uh, headlined all over the place and if you really look at it there's actually just like a and it's a long career like 30-ish years uh headlining a lot of places so i really think there's a strong um case there for him uh he's not like a that well-known name but if you start to look at at his uh history just like go to cage match there's something definitely there mm-hmm. and then um Next up, we have got Argentina Rocket and Miguel Perez, like the biggest drawing tag team of the 1950s. I think they're sort of a no-brainer. Um, I, I would, like, are they actually in individually? They should be in individually. Rocket both. is. Rocket. Perez, there's not much for Perez. True, yeah. But no, as but a tag team. As a tag they, team, I think, yes. It's like absolute, like, slam dunk. Um, they, the they, they, they just like I don't think people really realize like how many tickets these guys sold. It's actually yeah, nuts exactly. if you look it up. Um, and then next up we have Johnny Rougeau, one of the biggest draws in Montreal history. He's got a little bit of a drawing record in Florida as well. But I mean, if you just look at the number of years he had huge attendances in Montreal, it really is should be a no-brainer uh, if you start mm-hmm. to compare him to other people already in the Hall of Fame. Like there's a um, uh, there's an article up on the. Observer website that's free by Pat Laprade, who's sort of like the foremost 
journalist, wrestling journalist in Quebec. And it just lays out like all of his huge drawing accomplishments in Montreal and Quebec. Mm-hmm. It's pretty clear, I think, once you start to read his record. Yeah, I think then, it's just easy when you ever you see like any kind, any Rougeau really pop up in Montreal. And I think the reason they're still over there to this degree is like because of Johnny. Yeah. Yeah, because he's sort of the patriarch of the family type yeah. thing. Um, so next up, uh, personal uh, sort of project of mine, Tiger Jeet Singh. Uh, you can go to voiceofwrestling.com and read why I think Tiger Jeet Singh is a like a no-brainer Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. slam dunk, absolutely. Was a draw in Japan for almost 20 years, headlined big shows against Inoki, against Baba, his tag team with Yumanesuke Ueda uh, versus um, Sege Sakaguchi and Strong Kobayashi. That was mm-hmm. a drawing tag team feud in the late 70s in New Japan. He headlined uh, 30,000 people in Yokohama uh, Stadium in 1992 against uh, Onita in a death match. Mm-hmm. Heck, he even popped a number in 2004, 7,700 people in, I think, Nagoya against Naoya Ogawa in a, on a hustle show in the main <laughs> event. Um, so he's just like, I mean, he, mm-hmm. he's was one of the biggest, he's like, I, one of the worst wrestlers ever. Yes. <laughs> Abdul the Butcher is a work rate machine. Yeah. Next to Tiger Jeet Singh. Yeah. But there is absolutely no denying that he was a huge draw in Japan, mm-hmm. uh, like a sort of a foreign heel that others took inspiration of that had influence in Japan. He was an upper mid Carter in the Toronto territory in the 70s, but not a main eventer, but it was a hot territory at the time. Mm-hmm. And he's got a school named after him. Uh, but um, that's for his philanthropic work that he did after he retired, not for being a wrestler. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, no, I, I um, think, yeah. It, he really is like a completely business case because, yeah, as I said, he's just an absolutely horrendous worker. Like, I think, <laughs> but he's so bad that it actually hurts him because people don't really realize how good yeah. of a worker he Yeah, because he was on the, he was on the uh, ballot in 1998 and 1999. And then he fell off in 99 for getting less than 10% of the vote. Yeah, but I, all, but I think that's also at the time when people weren't really like able to actually like properly analyze historical attendances yeah. as well. I mean, because, his business case yeah. is, is pretty clear, I think. Yeah. No question. And the no. longevity. Yes. And I highly encourage everyone to like go and read Gerard's article on it as well. Yeah. Next up, uh, Wild Bull Curry. I mean, the guy's career was like 30 years and he basically invented hardcore wrestling. Hmm. I think the longevity and the influence is pretty clear on him. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't really, I've only watched like whatever exists of him and it's not much. He's not great, but he's like, obviously like looks the part, plays the part. And if you sort of look at like other stuff from that time, he's completely different. Just like doing all that, like hardcore stuff. Yeah. Yeah. As so, I said, like he's just a complete like influence guy because... He's like got he longevity literally, too. Yeah, longevity, and he's just like he, but he literally invented an entire style of wrestling. Right? Yeah, um, and then we've Without got him. Mad there's Dog. no Nita. Oh, for sure, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, or Sheik. Yeah, because that would have been even a more direct. Yeah, um, yeah. Tiger Jeet Singh is like a very yeah, yeah as well. And then um, next up, we've got Mad Dog and a Butcher Vashon. Uh, Mad Dog is in. But I mm-hmm. think as a tag team, I know is researching this huge draw everywhere. Montreal, mm-hmm. AWA territories all over the states from like the 60s into the early 80s. Mm-hmm. So pretty 
slam dunk, I think. Yeah. If you actually sit down and look at their uh, the drawing record as a tag team. Yes, I think the whole like AWA, like I think people just because of the way it ended, like I think some of the people who whose main case as an AWA kind of get especially before 1980. Yeah, don't get the credit they deserve because that yeah. t- that territory was massive. Like I said, mm-hmm. there is there is a not unrealistic alternative version of history where the AWA is the promotion is the promotion that survives if Vern plays certain things differently. Uh, I don't know because I think Vern was got too stubborn, whereas like Crockett would have been a little more flexible. No, but I that's what I mean. That. Like that's what I mean. Like they like where Vern like if Vern behaves differently, where he where he doesn't become stubborn, because there is like early in the eighties he is taking like he's ahead of everyone else really, and then he just falls apart. Yes, yes, because yeah, he's way bigger than Mid South or Crockett are at the yeah. beginning of the eighties. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then finally, for my last historical. Enrique Torres was a big star in the late 40s and the 50s in Southern California, the first big Mexican-American wrestling star. Like, if you actually go up and you look at his drawing record, it's, it's pretty clear he should be in there. Just huge. But he sort of gets lost to time because, for whatever reason, like, L.A. doesn't figure it as much <laughs> as into wrestling history as you would think for a city yeah. of its size compared to your, like, St. Louis's or Kansas City or Minneapolis or something. Which is really um, weird because like that's yeah. really where like the first wrestling boom was in LA, but then LA just never became a big wrestling town after that. Yeah. So um, yeah, if you look up his stuff, and it's pretty easy to find like information about him, he is pretty clearly like a huge draw and a hugely historical significance. Mm-hmm. And so that's my historical. And then for so my so actually, just real quick a question: Is Otto Vance in the historical? No, bucket, or is he, he is still in, in the Europe bucket? He is in the Europe bucket. And I'm not voting in the Europe bucket. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair because that um, that's basically is my. Pet I'm not project. voting in Mexico either. Eventually, I will actually. If like, he gets in historical, I will vote yeah. for Otto Vons. I yeah. think there's a pretty darn yes. good case. Yes, yeah. that like that's that's my pet project basically. Like eventually, like I will actually like sit down, research all of the info that is like to get there on him because he to me he's just an absolute like slam dunk candidate. Yes, for sure, definitely. And then for non-wrestlers, um, I have, well, uh, starting off with Shanshiro Takagi, who I got <laughs> on the ballot. You, you have to vote for him. <laughs> kind well, of, of obligated. And, and I have an article up at voiceofwrestling.com why he should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's arguably, influence. A, you got him on the ballot and he got you a ballot, more or less. Yes. And... Um, I mean, 25 DDT is celebrating the 25th anniversary this year. Nobody has done what Shinsuke Takagi has. He is not like a wrestler that was a mid carter in all Japan mm-hmm. in the 80s that started his own promotion, like yeah. many of them did, like your giant uh, great Kojikas and, and guys like that. Onida, technically he, as well. Onida was yeah, like Onida, Onida, yeah. yeah, right. So a lot of those like indies, like you know, third string promotion guys still started in the big promotions. But uh, Takagi starts in Pro Wrestling Crusaders which was a small <laughs> indie created by the Takano brothers after SWS folded. He leaves that, right? So this is like indie guy with no profile. He starts DDT with other wrestlers like yeah. uh, Nasawa and Mikami and them. And then he builds it up into what it is over yeah. 25 years. He's drawn at a time when wrestling was down, crowds in the large four figures hitting a little over 10,000 on a couple of occasions. You know, I think that's in- significant for what he started with. I think he's been a very creative promoter. That's not obviously going to rub everyone the right mm-hmm. way. 
I'm not making a like a style case for him. I don't love everything in DDT, but I just think what he's done is unprecedented in, in Japanese wrestling or wrestling in general. Uh, he's got the longevity. He's got the influence. I mean, Tokyo Joshi Pro is now technically the second biggest Joshi promotion in Japan. Yeah. And I think it continues to grow. Um, he's got a bunch of sub-brands that have survived, like Ganbare. And he's, in my opinion now, with the cyber fight purchase or cyber agent purchase of these companies, I think he's the second most powerful man in Japanese wrestling after uh, Takaki Kadani at Bushi yeah. Road. Uh, and I also think like his, his whole case, like it's impressive just on its own merit. But I think it become, actually becomes even more impressive when you actually take like, the cultural like, circumstances into consideration as well. Because obviously everywhere, like in a business, like having connections and everything and like way, where you went to school and everything is important. And it's the same kind of for like wrestling, but like even more so for like Japanese wrestling, where as you said, like most indie promotions were started by like guys that were like at one of the big two promotions previously. And that means they still have like connections there and it's like guys they can get in or like they still have like people they can call at the arenas to like get bookings and all of that. And Sanjiro Takagi had none of that. He had no connections. He knew no one. And he found this like comedy promotion and he just makes it into like a massive success. Like he, like he's very much the definition of like a self-made man. Like he's probably like the most self-made man in Japanese history. In like Japanese wrestling history. Because I'm struggling yes. to think, like, because he just had, like, until the cyber agent purchase, he just had no institutional, like, support from anyone. Like, it was just no. all him, more or less. Well, and it was, it was announced today that DDT has signed a, um, a promotional deal with Sun Music to develop entertainment uh, projects for, his, for their wrestlers. Yeah. Right? This guy's a wheeler and dealer, yeah. you know. And, um, and he's faced a bit of, like, con- like resistance because a lot of old school fans of Japan think he's just running a parody promotion of wrestling. Yeah. I mean, like that is absolutely gets, a real sentiment. Yes. No, that, that's why he gets like no credit really. Like if you listen to like, it's why like probably if you do like a ranking of like how many, how often a promotion gets like the cover of like weekly pro wrestling, DDT probably doesn't get it nearly enough. Just so based do you, on do how you remember, do you remember when uh, Dan Shuko Dino's ass was on the cover of uh, weekly pro? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> that set off a bit of a controversy among older fans in Japan. I mean, I kind of get it. <laughs> it's still like a, <laughs> but it's still, still like but a magazine kind, you put but out. That's the kind of uh, the sentiment that exists, yeah. right? And but he still he you know has broken through all of that, right? Yeah. So, and DDT is that, more than that as well. Like obviously, yeah, yes, it, the main thing that everyone thinks about for DDT is comedy, and it is for good reason. But it is just so much more like it's a promotion with such big variety and it's managed to keep that over like such a long period as well which is also impressive because it's so easy for promotion to just default to like uh, we're just going to do this style now because our fans like it whereas they they've always wanted to keep that variety show aspect of it yeah and you could see you could say he was like helped make ibushi and takeshida and gave uh Devel- uh, WWE developmental territory flunky uh, Kenny Omega a huge chance as well. Yeah, no, like they've always excelled in like building new new guys, and they also like they've never really had that problem as well where like they've had issues getting the new generation over. Like I think they've always been really good at that. 
Yep, definitely. The next up, we have Bobby Bruns. I mean, it's simple, straight to the point. The man was on the first professional wrestling tour of Japan in like 1950 <laughs> or 1951, and he trained Ricky yeah. Dozan. Yeah. Historical significance, case over. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> no question about it. You essentially it. more or less create Japanese wrestling, like, or at least help a lot in doing it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next up, we've got Morris Siegel was the promoter of Texas from the 1930s to the late 1960s and basically trained Paul Bosch on how to run the territory. Um, that longevity and the importance of Houston, mm-hmm. I think, makes him a Hall of Famer. Yeah. And next up, I okay, I'm curious went with it. One. Tony Schiavone. <laughs> <laughs> I think his AD, AEW run has put should put him in the Hall of Fame, right? Like, he was an incredible uh, commentator from, what, like 19, 1986 to, mm-hmm. like, 98 um obviously the last couple years of wcw was uh because when i obviously started first getting into wrestling he was a joke yeah like you know uh, on nitro in like 99 2000 or that uh, tremendous tna run (laughs) yeah um but uh going back and watching old like stuff on tbs and then now in aew i think he's Mm -hmm. one of the best commentators of all time when he's you know (laughs) in a good mood yeah like, I, I think really actually his, like, WF run actually is pretty good as well. Yeah, yeah, because he was there at 89? Yeah. Or 90 or something? Yeah. He's only there for Like, a year. him and Jesse are actually a pretty good team. Well, yeah, I mean, they were together in WCW2 in 93 yeah. and 94, but Jesse got out of there when Hogan came. Yeah, I wonder why. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, he'll tell you, he'll, he'll be the first to tell you, he's admitted, like, he was an asshole in the late 90s, and he totally mm-hmm. destroyed his uh, relationship with um, uh, Bobby Heenan, mm-hmm. and he admits it, and it said it was his fault. And then he also sort of, uh, I think, had a falling out with JR when JR left, but I don't care about JR these days, no. so <laughs> when JR left WCW, so who cares about that? Although I respect Heenan. Mm-hmm. A tremendous amount. Curious, who are the uh, so commentators just, currently in the Hall of Fame? Uh, Soli, Lance yeah. Russell. Yeah. JR, I guess. JR is probably in. Yeah. I think, right? Yeah. I mean, Heenan would be in as a non-wrestler, but it's probably more because he's a manager. Yeah. Um, who else would be in? Uh, oh, Lawler's in, but he'd be in as a wrestler. Yeah. So I'm trying to so, think yeah. if, I, if I put Giovanni next to those... I mean, I would say I probably like him more than JR. Oh, yeah, for sure. Not just current, but like in general. Oh, yeah. All time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, JR was pretty good in the 80s, but... um, Yeah. But, I mean, the fact that Shivani is still like one of the best commentators today. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, I think really with the AEW comeback, I think it's really kind of the thing that pushes him over the top. Um, I suppose if I had to pull one out, it would be Shivani. Yeah. I, there is someone I'm thinking of that probably might get some hate from other people, but mm-hmm. I'll explain myself at the end here. And then from who I have on my ballot currently, um, Ted Turner. Like mm-hmm. people say that Ted Turner didn't do anything, but to me, just the fact that he decided that wrestling would be important for the expansion of cable mm-hmm. TV in the United States, that's enough. That's enough historical significance, yeah. if you ask me. Completely changed the business. Because I think I wouldn't make the same argument for like someone like Kidani. Yeah. Well, Kidani sort of got run out of his own promotion for a bit, but yeah. has been reasserting himself recently. Yeah. But I think he really is like, really like, yeah, like the fact that Ted Turner, because otherwise we'll just get like WWE slash WF, like 
monopoly dominance like a decade earlier if Ted Turner doesn't decide that like he needs wrestling on TNT. That's true too. Him and buying WCW or mid, uh, Crockett in '88 yeah. for sure. So like it's a massive like pivotal moment in wrestling. So I think that alone, like that action alone, him buying it, it should be enough to like get him in there. And just that he also like just really solidified that like connection of like Turner or like TBS and TNT with wrestling as well. Yeah. Because I don't think AEW gets that deal otherwise. Oh, no. Not with them, no. Yeah. Yeah. And he just basically decided that wrestling was good for cable. And I think that was enough, really. And finally, who I have now considered, and this is a recent development, Alex Richards put a really good article up on Voice of Wrestling yesterday about Rossi Ogawa. Now, a lot of people don't want to vote for Rossi. Mm. They think there's not enough there, and stardom hasn't quite proven itself, although Mm. I think if it does become the second biggest promotion in Japan and goes on an extended run, he deserves it in. Mm. But Alex highlights that Rossi might have had more of a hand in All Japan Women during the Crush Gals era and in the early 90s than is sort of um, realized. Because I've heard all sorts of stories. I've heard Rossi was basically the chauffeur for the Crush Gals, driving them to the public appearances. Hmm. But there seems to be information that Alex has gotten out there that, no, he sort of helped craft the whole brand image of the Crush Gals. Hmm. And that... He wasn't now. I'd always heard that he had a hand in booking of the interpromotional stuff in All Japan Women in the early 90s, but from the sounds of it, also possibly that Rossi was basically running the wrestling operations while the Matsunaga brothers were just the funders and the owners of the company. So, if that's all true, I think that's a that's a makes him a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Now, what I want to know though. I need to get a little more confirmation on this information about just yeah. what exactly Rossi Ogawa did in All Japan Women during this time. Yeah, like but, I agree because like right now I don't think it's like a safe enough case, and if that information turns out to be true and if Stardom actually like takes off properly, I think he's a no doubt Hall of Famer in that case. I, I think the All Japan Women stuff is enough to get him in now Hmm? but i would vote for him based off of stardom in a few years yeah i guess is my position on rossi ogawa no that's so that's my ballot (laughs) but as of right now he's not on it Hmm? but i i I really think that i think some people are not giving ross well once we determine what rossi actually was doing yeah then i think he's got more of a case than some yes no if he's actually be if he's actually really pivotal for that uh all japan women's success then yeah yeah. That is or an actual Hall like, of Fame thing. Just crafting the Crush Gals is a huge thing. Yes, that too. Because I thought he just drove them around to their public appearances. But again, Which he like, did. That's, it's, that's kind of like hard to like prove in a way. That's, that's my issue with it. I guess so. Anyway, so that's my ballot. Mm-hmm. Paul, before we get out of here, do you have any final thoughts? Uh... Not that much right now. We're actually kind of entering like a bit of a quieter period, I would say. I mean, we have that big Noah Kirk and Hall show, but like, I think until the real world attack league kicks off, it's going to be a bit Yeah, so that, that's, a perfect, that's a perfect segue to give us to be back in two weeks mm-hmm. because then we'll have the Noah shows and um, the beginning of the real world tag league. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll find out who the X's are against <laughs> Suhama, <laughs> Ozaki, and Yukihi. I actually kind of low-key wanted to not be announced. I actually just want to get the pop when they come out, whoever it actually is. <laughs> yeah. 
but uh, I don't always trust. Uh, I don't know if I trust all Japan to deliver on big X's that will blow your mind. Though. Yeah. So you're so you're telling me it's not going to be the Holy Demon Army? N- probably not. I uh, don't think so. Damn it. <laughs> anyway, uh, for Paul Vosch, I'm Gerard Detroit, and we'll see you in two weeks. Hi, my name is Tyler Fornis, and I am the co-host of The Good, The Bad, and The Hunky here on the Voice Wrestling Podcasting Network. Every week, my co-host Fred Moreland and I discuss all the happenings of all elite wrestling and everything going on in the universe of Tony Khan. We talk about Dynamite, we talk about Rampage, and we will talk about Collision when the time comes as well, along with all the appearances outside of AEW from all the best talents in all elite wrestling. This is one of the more cohesive wrestling companies in the entire world, and we discuss every intricacy about it, including the unique booking of Tony Khan that is both a huge positive and a major detriment. Check us out every single Thursday here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network.